Welcome to Arizona Boomer Radio with the Boomer and the Babe. Arizona Boomer Radio gives voice to 1.4 million boomers throughout the Grand Canyon State and beyond. Each show has a different guest and a different topic. We hope you enjoy the relaxed, conversational style of the show. Nothing fancy, just boomers sitting around the table talking about stuff. Now here are the hosts of the show, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And welcome to Arizona Boomer Radio. It is Saturday, October 20th, 2012, and we are broadcasting from our mobile studio in Sun City, Arizona. Today we're at the grand opening of the Valley View Community Food Bank at 107th Avenue and Peoria. And uh, we're just going to be having some guests along from time to time, have some breaks in the uh, in the programming. Uh, a lot of ambient noise behind us. We got uh, barbecue being cooked right next to us, so we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to uh, have a little of that today. Uh, as we can get as many people from the food bank here as possible, we'll be doing that. Uh, one of the people we want to make sure that we have on today is Jesse Ramirez, and. Uh, but he's going to be awfully busy, so we're going to try to get Jesse on whenever we have an option or an opportunity to do that whenever he's available. So uh, we uh, we need to get him over here, and he's giving me the high side that he understands that he's going to be <laughs> coming along. So uh, we're just going to kind of turn the volume down on the ambient noise here for a minute, and then from that point forward, when Jesse comes back here, we're going to crank it back up, and uh, we'll have some... Uh, information and we're going to be talking with Jesse a little bit about the food bank and how we got it started way back way back in the day. So um, just stay with us, enjoy the conversations that we're going to be having today and we'll be talking to you real soon. Thanks again for listening everybody and uh, stay with us and keep dropping in because you never can tell who we're going to have and when we're going to have it. Thanks again. Take care. We'll be back. And we're back, and I just got the word from the off-site engineer that everything's sounding pretty good. So we're going to leave those settings back right where they are. We'll come back again, as I said, with Jesse right now. He's being interviewed by some members of the local press. And when Jesse uh, completes that conversation, I'm sure he'll find his way back here to where we are, and we'll be able to have him and uh, get the story of the food bank see what else might be on his mind for the future. More than just a food bank here, which you'll find out there's a food bank. There's also something called 
Feeding Arizona, which houses out of uh, this location. Uh, Feeding Arizona is all about uh, helping out smaller and other independent food banks throughout the state. And when they're in need of food, they can uh, call on uh, Feeding Arizona slash Valley View Community Food Bank and they will be able to get free food delivered to them so that they can be uh, able to have the, uh, the food for their people that are in need as well. And then also there's a nice large thrift store as part of this large complex. And so we uh, advise you that if you're looking for some real bargains, very nice products in the thrift store, very clean. And uh, stop by the thrift store and support the thrift store because by supporting the thrift store, Valley Community Food Bank also benefits because all the proceeds from the thrift store go to Valley Community Food Bank. So uh, with that being said, we're going to just kind of slide back out again for a little while, and we'll be back shortly with more conversation uh, with some individuals as they manage to stop by and take time away from their uh, from their various tables and booths that are set up around the location. So we'll be back shortly.
Morning. I'm sure that's plenty for now. Yeah, any beans? No, 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 beans, please. Just a little bit of beans and that'll be fine. Thank you. vendors do we have around here?
Dave, what's the, what's the deal on the farmer's market? They pay a fat price and get X number of pounds? Or? $10 up to 64 Okay. Okay, we're back after taking that a little bit of a break there. Just got started, and then we took a break right, right, right after we got going. So, <laughs> so as I was saying, what we're going to do during the course of the day is we're going to have some different people coming by and visiting with us and talking. 
I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. And I can't predict it because they are all various uh, employees uh, with various organizations that are being represented here today. And uh, they have their, their booths or their tables that they're uh, in the process of, of uh, manning. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to play a piece that was a, a previous show that I have up uh, called the best, of the, ba- best of the Boob of the Babe, and we'll hit that for a while, and then we'll, that'll be playing, and we hope you enjoy that uh, while um, while we're waiting for some other people to come by. We'll interrupt that that programming then uh, to talk to anybody that, that comes back by the table where we are. Here we go. Thank you. 
overarching, all of that is one simple message, and that's how do you make a difference in people's lives? How do you save them time, money, uh, lives, the environment? These are all. These are the things that how people do you make them really feel better? About. How do you make them more more interesting people? Absolutely. Whatever, whatever, how, how do you interact with them? Yeah. And it's all about yeah. that interaction, isn't it? Absolutely. That's the most important thing in the world is the connections and how you touch other people's lives. Right. Right. And how well you do that is dependent upon a lot of things. And those are sort of the ten kind of rules that I have here. Well, why don't we start with the top ten rules? Be lighthearted. Yeah, I mean, there's certain, there are times to be serious, and you know instinctively when those times yeah. are to be serious, but no one wants to be around a sourpuss all the time, right? <laughs> so when you're lighthearted, then people don't want to be around you, right? The, the people with the most grace and dignity that you've seen that are examples, they are people that are lighthearted and uh, don't take things too seriously. And don't take themselves too seriously. No, absolutely. It, it, the most important thing, too, is even in a disagreement mm-hmm. is to be lighthearted, mm-hmm. you know. You can get your point across without being angry. We can agree to disagree. Totally, but wouldn't you rather have someone say, uh, hello, is this where this towel's going to be living for the day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of saying, will you pick up your towel? I'm tired of you leaving it around. Well, whatever does that, I call it sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We always joke about that in my house. Um, is this going to be, this is... Is this the home for this? Is thing? this where is it for the rest yeah. of our, rest of days? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, as you said, even in a disagreement, you can mm-hmm. you can have a lighthearted nature to how you approach it. Absolutely. Okay. Number two, be informed. Uh, opinions are great, but do your homework. We were talking about that before we came on there, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> in another light. Sure. Be. I mean, obviously, you want to be open to differing viewpoints. That makes you a well-rounded human being, but. It's great to have an opinion, but let it be an informed opinion and look at a variety of sources, even conflicting sources of, of, that are against your own opinion, so that you have a well-rounded, well-rounded understanding of a topic or where people are coming from. Well, it, it's interesting. There are so many people that get into arguments or get sideways with people, and it has so much to do with misinformation or lack of information. Sure. And we see that every day. <laughs> in the news and in politics and everything yeah. else. And uh, in their case, many cases, yeah. it's, it's disinformation. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's a, that's another issue. Well, it's so important because when you take a step back, mm-hmm. okay, let's imagine that you are uh, 50,000 feet above the earth and you look down. Where are those arguments? You can't even see, you can't them. see them. They're not there. No. So when you take a step back and you look at it and you realize that this is the fun part of life, mm-hmm. is that if we all thought the same, my gosh, how scary would that be? Right. It could be a runaway train. Yeah. So we have to have differences of opinion. And in the middle, that's where the work gets done. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And, and the interesting thing is uh, when, when it comes right down to it and you, and you boil all the baloney out of it, it really, the sun still comes up in the morning, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, Absolutely. the sun will come up in the morning for all of, every one of us. And we are back. It is Pete Peters without Deborah Brown, but here with Mr. Tony Felice of Tony Felice Public Relations, talking about branding yourself, self-branding, having a little topic. uh, Our discussion today is about the ten things that we have to do to build your personal brand. And we've also established the fact that your personal brand is basically building a brand is building a brand. Absolutely. I mean, just like if you're a salesperson, there's transferable skills. If you're a good salesperson, you can sell most everything. You may not have to have product knowledge, but it's just the the sales process is still the sales process. Absolutely. So branding is branding, personal or business. 
But right now we're talking about personal brand. Uh, before we get into it, why does somebody have to worry about their personal brand, Tony? I heard an expression once, and ah, I, I wish I could give the correct attribution for this, but it was everything goes back in the box. Okay. Right? If you play Monopoly or whatever, it all it goes back, in the, goes box, back right? in the box. Yeah. So do we. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to take with you? Okay. The only thing you're going to take with you is who you were mm-hmm. and how you're going to be remembered. Right. That's your brand. That's true. That's a very interesting point. When you go back in the box, <laughs> what are they going to say about you? Was he a real whatever, or was he a really cool person? Absolutely. And then he puts on his tombstone. He says, I told you I was sick. But that's, that's another. <laughs> Where were we? Number three, well-rounded? Yeah, have things to talk about. The worst kind of people are the people that talk about other people. Average people are people that only can talk about events, and intelligent people, those are people that talk about ideas. So be an idea person. You don't have to constantly be an idea person, but ask those questions. Engage people in those conversations about ideas. You'll find that people respond well to that. I always have found that when I ask more questions than I give answers to, Mm -hmm. I find I get more information. Absolutely. I I get more knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know Deborah's very good at that. Uh, Whenever we're in a situation, whether it's business or personal, it's, you know, who are you? What do you do? What are you interested in? That sure. type of thing. And that's all part of building our brand. Exactly. Because people say, oh, man, those those people are you know, they're interested in us. Exactly. And it, and it goes a long way, doesn't it? Absolutely. It, it really does. Be well-rounded. I'm well-rounded, but I'm well-rounded in a different way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well-rounded around the middle. <laughs> I want to be less well-rounded myself. Physically well-rounded. Absolutely. And so number four would be be circumspect or faithful to the absent and uh, the way I look at this is that how would you behave if your mother was standing over your shoulder, mm. or how would you behave if what you just said was the headline of the yes, article? Oh, my. That sounds interesting. That's hard to do. Well, it is, you know, because, I mean, I know I've said things from time to time, and I go, ooh. Yeah, you can bring yeah, it right in you know, here. And, and that's a good out. way of thinking about it. What if this yeah. was? The, what if my words were the headline in the newspaper? Uh, Absolutely. Well, I have some things that I wouldn't want to have in the, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have in the headlines. Well, oh, it's very it's, it's, it's very easy to do that, especially if you are you know joking. You really are just sort of joking around and making fun. But it's still it's not really a good thing to do. That's that's very true. And there's uh, the, and the the history books are uh, filled with people that have. Yeah. said silly things yeah. or said things that they didn't realize the camera the microphone was on. Exactly. And it did become the headline, and it became yeah. their demise as well. Absolutely. And, and, and in your business, uh, we don't have to sit here and recount them, but <laughs> there's nope. all kinds of them that come right to the top of your top, Talk about top-of-mind awareness. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what it is. Tell the truth. If you always tell the truth. You never have to remember what you said. That's right. That's true. You know, And, and that that's interesting because... Your parents probably told you that too. They tell, did. tell the truth, and you never have to remember who you lied to. That's right. You know, it's just that's the way it is. I can thank my mom for that. Yeah. <laughs> she always said to admit when you're wrong. The most elegant, graceful people I think that have ever I've ever encountered are the ones that said, you know what? Hey, I'm totally sorry. You're right. I absolutely should have known better. I really bollocks that one. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's the most amazing thing in the world when someone has the courage to uh, stand by their to have certainty in their own life and self-awareness that they can say, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be a better person. And it's always disarming. Oh, it is. It's always it? disarming because oh, yeah. if the other person, if you have offended that person in some way mm-hmm. and you apologize and say, I'm wrong, I never should have said that, 
my, I don't know what I was thinking, whatever. Yeah. And they, what are they going to say? No. What are they going to say? <laughs> you know, yeah. you were a jerk. Well, I already said I was a jerk. <laughs> yes. And you'll see in my list, you don't see anywhere here that it says be a doormat. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. I understand. You can have certainty in your life and know who you are and stand for something and, and, and still admit when you're wrong and be humble. Yeah, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with being wrong. Absolutely not. People make mistakes and are wrong every day. Let's talk about being entertaining. Be entertaining. Be inquisitive. Be someone that people want to be around. Mm-hmm. Humor is a wonderful thing, and there's a time for humor, and there's a time when there isn't a time for humor. But when you're entertaining, then you can then you are someone that people will remember. And right. if you think about when you go to a party, you might remember the food, you might remember the decorations, but you will remember the people. And you will remember the people that you were having the most fun with. Absolutely. And, and most, being your most entertaining and self your name being is entertaining with you. Trisha. And that's who you remember. Other than that, that, remember that the guy was sitting there laying drunk in the corner, and you remember that guy. That's a different kind of entertainment. Yes. But nonetheless, be whatever you want it to be. Absolutely. Or whatever. And if you're inter- being entertaining and in the right way, yeah, appropriate. Sure. And, and you're with we'll United Healthcare. And I'm not talking about being a stand up comic. You don't have to be the one with the lampshade on You don't have yeah. to be the one with the lampshade on your head. No, no, not at all. Inter- being entertaining comes from listening mm-hmm. and responding. Mm-hmm. And I want to put these on. Responding in a humorous way. Yep. That, that, and that's like one that? thing that I know that Deborah and I do, at least amongst ourselves. Yeah, we're always yeah. laughing. Just that. You know, we've all no. we've got some you kind can of move that. That's good. Out. That sounds good. All right. And when we go out socially, that happens socially. Yes. And, and Deborah just got that one of the ultimate compliments not long ago. It was over the holidays. We were at a party. They said, you know what? She said, "He said to her, you are the you are the same person socially as I met when I was on your radio show.' Oh, that's great. And we're back. Uh, so much for the uh, fill-in programming. Uh, we're back here live at Valley View Community Food Center's open house, grand opening, and uh, we're going to have one of our uh, guests here with us today. Her name is Trisha Pensky. She's with United Healthcare, and I'm curious, Trisha, why?" Uh, first of all, welcome to the, the Arizona Boomer Radio Show. Thank you. And uh, that's number one. And number two, what is it that brought your organization out here to be at the food bank today? Well, United Healthcare has a community plan for people who are on Medicare Part A and B and the state Medicaid program. It offers um, additional benefits for the recipients, such as dental comprehensive dental at $1,500, um, eyewear, hearing benefits, and over-the-counter benefits that they don't get with their Medicare or Access programs. So this seems to be a, a, a natural place for you to be then, uh, mm-hmm. making your wares available and your information known. Yes. Uh, do you work in this area yourself personally? Or? I work all over the state of Arizona. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're you're uh, you're the head honcho in the state of Arizona. One of them, yes. <laughs> Very good. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about Medicare. Okay. Um, all kinds of all kinds of information out there about Medicare right mm-hmm. now what's going to happen to it, and it's going to go bankrupt, and it's already been bankrupt, or whatever, whatever they're saying. Um, what about Medicare as far as stability to the best of your knowledge? I don't have the knowledge on the stability. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know that anyone does at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Um, 
do you, what about the uh, the the local Medicaid? Is it is it my imagine is it my imagination or is uh, are a lot of these benefits being cut for a lot of people that really need them? On the local level, uh, they local did make level. some changes to the Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. Um, seniors, though, have uh, maintained their access eligibility, uh, although they did have an increase in their Social Security, so we're finding that some people did get bumped out of the eligibility requirements. Mm-hmm. In other words, they got too much money on Social Correct. Security. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, so it's conceivable that you could be uh, living below the poverty line, uh, drawing only Social Security, and get kicked out of uh, access programs because you're making too much money. It's conceivable, and I I would advise anyone that questions to, to call access and find out where they are on their level of income and see what they qualify for. Okay. Now, now how does how does what you do play in and interact with all of these projects? This plan is, a, is this is a dual plan. It's for people. The only people that are eligible, they must live within the service area in Arizona, be on access, and Medicare Part A and B. So this this is um, additional benefits that it corresponds and um, works with their access and Medicare. Uh, United Healthcare becomes the primary um, payer, if you will, for benefits. And it offers additional benefits that they don't get with their Medicare and access. What is the Affordable Health Care Act going to do to what you do? You know, we're crossing our fingers, right? <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't speak on that. I don't have authority okay. to do that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, don't, I don't want to have you say things you can't say. Uh, but I'm still looking for somebody that can answer that question because whenever I have somebody on that's uh, even in the periphery or uh, related to the types of things that you're doing, I ask them the question, they go, duh, I can't talk about yeah. that. Or I don't want to talk about that. It's kind of like that thing with you Republican or Democrat because you lose half of your audience regardless of which one you choose. Well, and as a as an employee of United Healthcare, <laughs> I don't have the, the authority to speak on that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> That's above your pay grade? That is above. That's, that's out of my scope. <laughs> Very good. Well, I, I certainly understand that. Uh, a lot of things are out of my pay grade, too. Uh, Deborah tells me that I can't talk about that. <laughs> uh, giving back to one of my original questions, however, why is it that you are here? What what brought you here to the uh, the grand opening today? How, how did it come to pass that you're here? Well, uh, we met with Jesse, and since United Healthcare offers such wonderful resources for people that don't have access to these resources, there's no premium on this plan for them, no co-pays within the medical portion of the plan. Um, so they have hospitalization and doctor visits, um, X-rays, their preventative, all with zero copay as long as they're full access and they maintain their access level and, you know, have Medicare Part A and B, um, it's such a great resource and, and outreach to the community that we're trying to reach <clears throat> that people that don't know that it's available. So so they have to be on on Medicare. Yes. 
Okay. And access. And and access. So mm-hmm. they so they've got to be they've got to be 65 years or older. Medicare recipients can be younger than 65. Well, yes, yes, if, if they're they disabled. Had, if they're disabled, mm-hmm. right. So if there's a disabled individual and they're getting Medicare benefits, getting access now, they also qualify for yours. Correct. And it's no cost to them. Correct. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And and then what portion of I mean, how does it dovetail with the others? Does it pick up things that they would normally pay for on the others? Is is it a supplemental? Uh... It's not a supplement. It's a Medicare Advantage plan. What happens is, is if they have original Medicare right. and access, access picks up the 20% that the beneficiary would normally pay if they are on original Medicare. That does not cover things like um, dental, vision, hearing benefits, podiatry benefits, this now um, coordinates benefits with access, so United Healthcare becomes primary payer. There's no co-pays, and the additional benefits then the member receives. So they receive it as just as more benefits than what they have on Original Medicare and Access. Okay, so I mean anything anything over and above, they're not going to receive cash or anything like that. No, no. But just in the benefit package. Correct. As part of the benefits. Yes. They are, with this, they're receiving on the dental benefit, for example, for 2012, they're receiving um, eye exam, um, excuse me, dental exams twice a year, the preventative cleanings at no copay, $1,500 in comprehensive dental, which includes dentures, Extractions, um, anything over that, of course, they would, you know, be subject to pay for. But at fifteen hundred, and they're not receiving anything now, it's a great benefit. Well, it it does sound like a great benefit because I mean I know I know for a fact that I, I age myself. That's okay, mm-hmm. I guess. But I just recently you know, became Medicare eligible mm-hmm. based on age, and uh, I've got my Medicare. I got my supplemental. Yes. I got my uh, prescription mm-hmm. coverage, and it's nice to know, with the exception of the prescription coverage, uh, when I have to pay some a reduced amount for prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walk into a doctor's office, a hospital, uh, tests, whatever it might be, and I give them my Medicare card and my supplemental mm-hmm. card, and it's paid for 100 percent right. across the board. Right. I needed it, and I said. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and that's you a supplement. Much. That's a different yes. animal, so right. to speak. Um, but the part I think I was getting to was that that type of thing now is available yes. for people that are um, uh, Medicare eligible. Me- Medicare eligible and have a disability Correct. and they're on, on Social Security or uh, and they're on access. That that same process can take yes. place for them. Yes. Is how how is the red tape? I mean, is there a lot of red? I mean, no. With, with me, it's give them the card, go get taken That's care it. of, and come back out. Yeah. So they'll show their United Healthcare card to the provider. It is a network, um, and they'll go to primary care physicians and specialists and pharmacies within the network. Um, but it's a you know very large network. Huge network. Yes. Huge network. So. So. And then um, United Healthcare does offer other plans too. If they're not eligible for the dual, there's the regular Medicare Complete plan, which is a Medicare Advantage, and we also offer supplements. Okay. Uh, the, the Medicare Advantage thing, the way they have it structured now, that just came into effect not that long ago. Just a few years back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, has, has over the years 
uh, has that has that changed? Has it become more comprehensive, or uh, has it been easier to work with now than it used to be? Because I understand there were some issues with it when it first started. As far as um, referrals and so forth like that, you mean as far as network or? No, I think what, well, as far as what was covered and how much was covered. and uh, There were some issues along those ways. And it may have been in the way that doctors had to code it. And, and that's always with insurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's pretty seamless. You know, even referrals nowadays are very seamless. Mm -hmm. um, just co-pays. And every Medicare Advantage plan um, depending on what carrier you might go with, has different benefits within it, different co-pays for doctors and so forth. So, um, but it's pretty much cut and dry. So. Now, now, is is your organization involved in any way, shape, or form? Are they part of the AARP mm -hmm. group? So yes. when they look up, when I looked up an AARP, I would have seen yours as yes. well as any others that may have been there for supplemental insurances. Um, well, AARP and uh, United Healthcare—that's that is the, the um, Advantage plan. Or all right, right, right. Now, if you go to Medicare.gov, you'll see all the carriers listed there okay. that are available for your state. Well, it seems to me when I uh, correct me, maybe I'm thinking of something different. Um, when I was looking for my supplemental, mm -hmm. I mean, I looked at AARP and they had this whole list of providers that were supplemental. Providers. And they may. I have not been on their website. Oh, okay. Yet. All right. Okay. I, I, I don't. I think that's where I went. I also went to Medicare.gov. Right. Uh, I mean, I went both places. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I'll ask this question because I have this kind of insurance. Uh, I have a plan F, as mm -hmm. in Frank. Do you offer a plan F? Yes. That baby is the Cadillac. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That is just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I, and I said this the other day, we had somebody on our national show discussing uh, discussing Medicare and, and the various plans and so on and so forth, because now, of course, as you well know, this is uh, renewal time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they were talking about the plan F, and they said, you get the plan F. You can play, afford to pay for the plan right. F. Is it? But I found I found out that the plan F, from where I got it, is less expensive than some of the regular plans elsewhere. So every carrier that offers a supplement will have a plan F. The the rates might change uh, and be varied between different carriers. But they don't vary that much. Not that much. I mean, you know, twenty bucks maybe, mm -hmm. twenty five possibly. Uh, but I mean, I, I just. Well, give me give me the one with the most coverage for the best price. The guy says, "This is what I got." I said, "Sign me yeah. up. Sign me up. This is that easy." Okay. Well, I tell you, I thank you very much, Patricia, for being with me today. Thank I, you. Thanks for taking the time and explaining a little bit more about uh, how this works in Arizona with regard to access and the things that are mm -hmm. available. I think it's very important that people know about this. And uh, uh, good luck to you. Thank you. And if they want more information, they can I'll, give I'll me a call. This is your shameless self promotion. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, my phone number is 480-717-1570, and they can call me regarding the dual complete plan. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. Thanks again. Take care. Have a great day in there. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Okay.
And we're back. We had Trisha Pensky from United Health Care Systems. And uh, she was talking a little bit about the plans that she's involved in that dovetail with Arizona Access. Uh, always interesting to find out what's available out there in the marketplace for people. And so if you are in need of health care and you might be Medicare qualified because of age or because of disability, uh, you can contact her, Trisha Pensky at United Healthcare, and uh, she's out of uh, she's out of the East Valley. She's got a 480 exchange uh, phone number. So anyhow, she seems to really know what she's doing. I'm glad she stopped by to visit with us for a little while. Right now, what I want to do is uh, we're going to give you a little history of the Calgary Community Food Bank. A little fact sheet here. We may even give you a test later. know for sure, but uh, nonetheless, we have this information here. Valley View Community Food Bank has been in operation since March of 2007. Uh, Since since their inception, they have served over 383,000 people. And that have come through their doors, and they currently are helping a hundred and over a hundred twenty agencies, which serve the outskirts of the communities. Uh, volunteer statistics: they have three hundred and forty-five volunteers. They have another hundred and five church volunteers, and a hundred and ten gleaners. And those are the people that go around and pick your citrus off your trees when it's ripe. Uh, then they, they take the citrus away because, generally speaking, you have an overabundance of citrus on your trees, and they will take it and bring it to the food bank so people can have citrus when it's in season. Uh, they have their client services department, which gathers up all the information to make sure all the reports are correct. It has to go to the uh, to the state and uh, any other governmental agencies to report exactly what they're doing. And their operational cost currently, it takes a budget of $26,000 to operate monthly. That's a monthly budget of $26,000 to operate this facility at 107th Avenue in Peoria in Sun City. It's a huge former Safeway store uh, that's here. It also houses the Valley View Thrift Shop, which generates money to help the food bank operations. And all proceeds go directly to the food bank for food, rent, and utilities. And they have a farmer's market, which is actually in place and operating today. Uh, It operates on Fridays and Saturdays, and all proceeds from that go towards fuel and the transportation uh, for the trucks for the food bank. And uh, they do the rescue of produce, which means produce that was going to be uh, just basically put in the dump and let to rot because overabundance of it or so on, they will rescue that produce and they put it in the farmer's market. And then uh, you can share those with uh, everybody who's in need. And the cost is $10 for up to 60 pounds of produce. $10 for up to 60 pounds of produce. And that market will be open today until 1 o'clock. So we might stop by on that. We're going to go back to uh, some of our other uh, programming that we have uh, on tape, and we're going to be playing that, and we'll come back again with somebody, uh, possibly Jesse Ramirez, when we uh, when we can get a hold of him. So uh, with that, we'll just 
start out a bit of programming here with regard to cyber scams. This might be of interest to some people. And uh, let's do a little bit of this and, uh, and, and see if there's something here that you might be able to uh, glean from that, if you will, speak to computers and get some information with regard to cyber scams and what you need to watch for. Log Talk Radio. From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Another adventure of the Boomer and the Babe Show. Here we are. It's Monday, March 12, 2012. Broadcasting live from our studios at the Feeding Arizona Complex in Youngtown, Arizona, which also which is also home of the Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. And if anybody within the sound of my voice is interested in looking for a, an excellent 501c3 uh, to donate to, uh, be it time, effort, money, uh, food, whatever it might be, contact Jesse Ramirez executive director and founder of Valley View Community Food Bank, and you can get him through his website, which is valleyviewcommunityfoodbank.com. does a wonderful job helping the helping uh, stem some of the food insufficiency that we have going on here in the Phoenix Northwest Valley market. Uh, I'm Pete Peters, and I want to remind you of our listeners, uh, you the listeners, that the Boomer the Babe Incorporated is involved in much more than just doing this radio show. In addition to this program, we publish many books and e-books. Our e-book authors have their own shows on the Boomer and the Babe Network right here on Blog Talk. We invite you to listen to them as well. We produce videos for your website, promotional products, and consult for small businesses. We are truly a multifaceted multimedia marketing company with our latest edition being Boomer Experience Speaks Online Magazine. That's Experience Speaks Online Magazine. You can subscribe to it at boomerandthebabe.com. It's absolutely free. A lot of our guests that are being on our shows and have been on our shows are, have written a, an article or a column for us, and also some of our uh, some of our show hosts from the uh, Boomer series, Boomer Book Series uh, authors are also. Uh, Doing some writing for us in the magazine, so go ahead and take a take a look at that, and hope you like it, and, and and go ahead and register for it. We've got a very interesting guest with us today. Uh, this gentleman is somebody that's involved in uh, uh, helping us, the baby boomer generation, and also seniors. Actually, anybody, but uh, because uh, seniors have, as he says, such a big target on their back with regard to cyber crime and cyber scams. Ponzi schemes and the like. Uh, he's developed a, a company. He's the founder and president of Eco Research Associates in California. He, it's a public benefit charitable corporation. Uh, they have a dual mission. One is to educate and warn the public, especially senior citizens, about Internet investment Ponzi scams and fraud, as well as other varieties of cybercrime. Second, they work with federal law enforcement agencies worldwide with their investigations, providing valuable research services. 
Well, I'd like to rec- uh, I'd like to uh, welcome you to the show, uh, Mr. Lynn Edgington of the company I had in front of me, California Public Benefit Charitable Corporation, known as Eagle Research. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Pete. I greatly appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. Uh, I say ours because Deborah's here um, in spirit. She may even be listening to it. I know she's back at the office at the house uh, doing some some projects that she's involved in for the Boomer the Babe Incorporated. Uh, so if she were here, however, she would ask you for your ten, your two-minute movie. So if you could go ahead and just give us a quick two minutes on uh, who Lynn Edgington is and uh, uh what uh, what's going on with your life and how where do you hail from as they say? Well, thank you so much. Uh, just to give you a thumbnail sketch of who I am and where I came from, uh, I started my professional career in the insurance industry, and I spent many years in the insurance industry in middle management and in executive management. And then from the insurance industry, I moved over into the credit union industry and worked in the credit union industry as a marketing director for a major credit union and was in that capacity, then moved into financial services uh, industry, then from there into the mortgage industry, and worked with a subprime mortgage lender. And prior to, and interspersed within all of that, I spent about 20 years as a business management consultant. So I was working with startup companies to mature companies. I would write business marketing and strategic plans. I would also go in and do business uh, evaluations, determine if there was issues and how to solve those issues. So that's pretty much uh, 20 years in the corporate world and 20 years in the business consulting world. I was born and raised in the Midwest and moved to California in 1985 and continued to career out here. And that's how I got to where Eagle Research Associates was actually formed. Well, I'm looking through this uh uh, book that you've written, Robbing You with a Keyboard Instead of a Gun, uh, Cybercrime and How They Do It. And I've, I see some things in this book as I'm looking through it that I have certainly been aware of, fortunately have not fallen prey to, but have been aware of and been aware of uh, friends or associates of mine that may have fallen prey to it. And uh, it's amazing that these things can... Garner as much money from people as they do, uh, and I'm I'm just wondering: are are people just that naive that they think they're going to make this quick buck and and uh, they're going to be set for life? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, I think that was probably the biggest surprise that I got, having with the background that I've had in insurance and banking and financial services and mortgage, that I really thought. Most of us had a better understanding, a basic element understanding of investments. And what I found is we don't. And that was kind of the first eye-opener for me. And to be honest with you, I knew nothing about Internet investment, Ponzi scams, fraud, cybercrime until 2004. And now it's been going on since the early 1990s. But it really has taken off in the the 2000s. That's when it really started to grow. And it really started to explode in about 2005, 2006 into how big it's become today. And so that was a that was an eye opener for me because having been around it, you know, you tend to get when you're doing something, you tend to think everybody else understands it the same way you do and unfortunately that's not the case. 
but I think there's a couple problems. We have uh, we're inherently trustworthy people, and if certain people that we have respect for and been taught to respect come along and tell us about something, we just automatically accept that, and we don't really do any due diligence, or we don't really look into it. We don't do the checking that we need to do in order to make sure that what they're talking about is real versus what is not real, and it's nothing more than going to steal your money. So that was a real shock to me, and like I said, it was an eye-opener. But uh, once I got into it, I researched from 2004 to 2000, the end of 2007 before I ever formed Eagle because we really wanted to get a handle on what was going on in this. I hate to say the word industry, but basically that's what it is, and really get a grip for how it works, who's involved, how do they do it, and how are they being able to steal millions and millions of dollars. And, and believe me, they're stealing uh, – collectively, they're stealing billions of dollars, and that's the part that's really scary. Well, let's talk about some of the – oh, I don't know, maybe the, the, the more recognizable ones. Uh, I have probably seen all kinds of emails, almost countless, come across my uh, my email site about uh, send money to Nigeria. I'm a prince from Nigeria, and I have oil money, and uh, and my that was left to me, and it's going to have to be kept under the table and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, of course, I just dismiss them and blow them off. But how in the world would they get somebody to actually do that? What What is the the, the actual function of that? How does, how does it function when they, when you see that email? Well, what you have to understand is with them this is a numbers game. The first thing you want to look at is is that they contact, you know, in the contact information they tell you that they got your name from so-and-so or some organization or some situation. Right, or you won a lottery drawing. Right. Now, what you want to do is, first of all, is you look at the two line to see, okay, if they know who I am and they know my email address because obviously they sent it to me, my email address should be in that two line. And you look up at the two line and it's either blank, it says none, or undisclosed recipient, or every once in a while they might get your email address address in there. It's rare that they do. But again, remember, they know your name. But immediately they start out with everything but your name. They always start out, dear beloved, if they're trying to get you, that's a poor dying widow and she needs to get her money out. She wants to use it for charitable giving. Or if you want a lottery, uh, you know, whatever they claim. They never reference your name ever, ever, ever in it. Now, the only way they'll reference your name is is if you respond and send them back information they're requesting. And now, from that point forward, they're going to address you by name. But there's little tricks of the trade that we tell people, and most people are are smart enough to know, do not fall for these type of emails. Unfortunately, I said it's a numbers game. They will send out 7 million to 10 million of these emails in bulk. And they know that they only have to have 1% of the people respond and they now have a live fish on the line, and they will convince you what they're doing is legal. But what is really fascinating, if you sit down and really read the email, they're asking you to do about and commit about five felonies. And that's just from the standpoint that you're going to help them spirit money out of a country. You know, They're saying they've got to keep it under the radar. They don't want the money going to the bank. Well, you, there's a felony right there. Then they're asking you to accept money. That's wire fraud, bank fraud. That's two more felonies we've tossed into the mix, and it builds from there. But they tell you everything is legal, but what they're asking you to do is commit five to six felonies on every one of these type of emails. And that's the ones where they're asking you to help you get money out of the country. Now, lottery is a different story. That one, they're just telling you they want your money. They're going to tell you you have to send them money to get your money. 
And the simple thing we tell people is, if you did not enter a lottery and you didn't buy a ticket, you can't win. And if you did buy a ticket, you don't have to pay to get your money. Your email cannot win you a lottery. It's just It just doesn't happen. But they make you think it does. And we have an element, as I said, the element of trust is we want to believe people. We want to believe, we want to trust. And they prey on that vulnerability. And they especially prey on that vulnerability ex- extremely with elderly seniors. And those are tends to be the ones that usually fall for this. There's a... There's something that uh, that I receive also that is uh, it comes with regard to uh, our credit card processing account because uh, we could for the things that we do we take we take credit cards and they will say dear member uh, due to whatever whatever you're going to have to re-register your credit card information and it's it's just bogus and so then. Uh, it, you just you just don't click on it. Even if you click on it, you're I think you're opening them up somehow to some getting some kind of information. But the credit card processing company tells us just send it off to spoof at whatever whatever dot com, and they supposedly try to take care of it. Uh, and there are certain ways, of course, that they will address you that is legitimate if there was a legitimate problem. Uh, but they're not going to call you member for one. I uh, know. They never and, do, and uh, so it's it's interesting because they have all the logos, they have all the jargon, they have all the stuff that makes it look very official. Absolutely, I, I got to tell you a story, and you're going to love this one. Now, I think we could all agree that the FBI director is an intelligent individual, and he's astute, he's sharp. There is an email goes around, and it started out, and it's called bank phishing email. And your bank sends you an email and it says, quote, there's been a security breach or unusual activity on your account. You need to contact our security department immediately to get this taken care of because until you do, your account is frozen. Mm-hmm. And they give you – they're very gracious. They give you a link in your email for you to click on to sign into your online banking and solve this problem. Now, I'm talking about the FBI director here, folks. He clicked on that link. And he came, probably came within two clicks – of having his entire bank account, savings account, not only deleted, meaning they stole his money, but having all of his personal information that they needed on him that they didn't have already. And, oh, by the way, while they were while he was on there doing that, they were already – if you give them your login and your password, they're already in your account. And what they're doing is, is changing your password, number one, and changing your email address, number two. And the reason they do that is simply this. Because if they can get you inside your, and get totally inside your banking and get access to your account, you will get a notice that you did online banking. And they don't want that email coming to you because they know that it's going to give them away. So what they're going to do is they're going to change your email address so you can't get any notifications that they just went in. And while you were on the, thinking you were in the banking and answering security questions, they were just wiping out your bank account. And so they don't want you getting an email possibly during the period of time they're talking to you about and and they're you're doing this through the online banking and, but you're at the security answering security questions they don't want you knowing that they just took deposited transferred money out of your checking account over to somebody else or you know savings account over to somebody else so they first thing they do is they change email address second thing they do is they change the password so you can't get back into your online banking when you're done and he literally came within two clicks 
And he admitted this at, at a bar association meeting that he was attending. And my point simply is, the reason I'm telling that story is simply this. If we think we're too smart to fall for one of these things, we're not. We can become a victim of this stuff. Some of these, they're, they're, understand, folks, these people are getting really good at what they do, and they know how to steal your money. And they will convince you without any hesitation or question that what you're doing is correct. And the first thing you want to do is if you ever get one of these emails, has one of those embedded uh, URLs in it, if you're on a Mac, you put your cursor over it, it's going to pop up on the screen and show you the URL that you're really going to. If you're on a PC, it's going to be down in the lower left-hand corner, close to where your start uh, button is. It'll tell you the URL. And if it's from Bank of America, it'll say www.bankofamerica.com. What you will see is www.thqrplqst003.47892.com. And over way over on the right-hand side, you might see Bank of America, if you're lucky. And it makes no difference, because they know they're going to send out so many emails with Bank of America. They're going to send out so many emails with Chase. They're going to send out so many with Wells Fargo. They're going to send out whatever the bank is in the region they're going after. They're going to put that information there. And if you're not a Chase account holder, you just delete it because it doesn't apply to you. If it's Wells Fargo, you delete it. You just think, well, they got something wrong. But if it's your bank, you're going to click on it. Now, first of all, you open up the email account, you're really not in trouble. It's only when you click on the link that you're in trouble. But here's what happens. They know what is the real email address at that time. Please understand, when they send out these bulk emails, they don't know for sure whether or not it still is an active working email. The moment you open it and you respond, they know now it's a it's a real email account. It's live, and you're now on a hundred to two hundred different email lists for these scammers. This is how you get all this spam into your uh, into your inbox on your email accounts. So that's how that that's particularly how that particular scam works. So I may have opened up one of them inadvertently, although I don't know of anybody that's done anything as far as getting into my accounts. Oh no no! Okay. If you just open it, you're you're not at risk. It's when you click on the URL that's in that email, or you respond by email. That's when they know they have a live email address. Up until that time, they're you know they buy these lists, and they turn around and then they'll sell that list because now they've got confirmation. You're a, they can make as much money off of you selling your email address as they can sometimes of stealing money out of your checking account. Sure, uh, sure. I, I don't say that lightly. I'm just saying they make money money off of you two ways. One, they steal your money, and two, they sell your identity, your email identity to uh, hundreds of other people, and they're going to make tons of money off of it. I just received an email just the other day. As a matter of fact, I'm, while we're talking here, I'm going to look it up because I'm going to pull it up on my computer. It was an email that um, was sent to me by somebody saying that they wanted to find out the pricing of uh ads on one of our websites and i'm thinking where did this come from i mean i you know i just i had this somewhat of a uh an uneasiness about it the guy's name is samuel charles and he's from garachi g-u-r-a-c-i uh, dot com and he claims to be he represents garachi agency which is an advertising agency for the, for the lacoste company out of france and I'm thinking, he's what, what he wants to do is he wants to put, uh, he says he wants to put uh, banner advertising on one of our on one of our websites. 
Well, which is fine with me. I mean, I gladly sell banner advertising on our website. That's not a problem. But now I've now they've got me. He's got me wondering, you know. And I did, <laughs> and I did respond to him, and uh, and I said, well, send me information about what what you're advertising, what goods or services, and what size what size you're looking to put up, and so on and so forth, so I could try to pin him down a little bit more. And he also sends me something that I do have a website for him, and it's all written in French. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I'm, I'm of an opinion that this, I think that this might be legitimate. Well, usually uh, you can do it a couple ways. Uh, he's given you an email address, and the biggest thing you want to look at is the email address at the company in which he claims he's representing. If he's saying, uh, and there's some salespeople that do this, so it doesn't mean this happens in every case. But usually if you work, uh, for example, if you were sending out an email to somebody, would you use gmail.com or would you use the name of your organization, at yourorganization.com or .net or whatever it would be? Mm-hmm. And we've, we've tell people, look, if somebody's contacting you in official capacity from a company they represent, they have, the company has their own email addresses. Now, the only way that varies, if they're an independent contractor, they could have their own specific email address, and sometimes they'll use Gmail because they don't want to pay for a dedicated line because they can access it anywhere in the world better than they can sometimes a dedicated uh, email address. Even though you can go to webmail and usually get in, you know, again, it depends on the situation, but the biggest thing is is you check out the company and make sure they who they say they are. Usually if you go to their company website, even if it's in French, they usually have ability to translate it, and you can get it in English. If not, you find somebody that can speak French, and or you just Google them, and you can look them up and say this is their address. And a lot of times, they'll give you a list of their, you know, their people that are in their organization, and you look well, and see if that person is there. That's exactly what I did. I, uh, I, I did indeed Google them, and that did I did get the translated uh, website, and this gentleman's name is at the company name.com. So I that's, think that, he, that's encouraging right there because it says he is part of that organization and they don't give right. those email addresses out. And if they did, it would automatically go to the company and it would tell you if if he really doesn't work there and he just put it in to see if it would go, it'll come back, it'll bounce back and say no such email exists because the company has a roster list of all their email accounts that they've set up. So the well, fact that he I, went through, it didn't come back to you as bounced, uh, that tells you pretty much show in fact that he's using their company name in the right. email address, it, that tells you pretty much right there that he's legitimate. Yeah, I just replied to the one and it came back, and he sent me he sent me another email back that said this is what we're looking for specifically, and and so I think it it may be well worth it. I might be able to make five dollars on this thing. Wow! Gosh, <laughs> do I get a cut? <laughs> What's your percentage? What's your percentage? Oh, I work cheap. <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, how many different scams and uh, cyber scams do you think there are right now in your in your estimation or guesstimation, however you do it, that are out there that uh, uh, people are uh, are prey to? Uh, probably somewhere between ten and twelve thousand. Wow, and some of and them that's are, just the ones we know of, and they're all in varying degree of um, complexity and. Uh, all in varying degree of how good they look as far as what they might that they might look like they're a real opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And they vary by different there's there's two different types of what is out on the internet. 
One of them is called HYIP, which stands for High Yield Investment Program, and the other one is what is called, obviously, non-HYIP or non-High Yield Investment Program. And the difference is, is the is the type of vehicle that they're using. If you're talking high yield, we're always looking at something that is like uh, forex trading, commodities, uh, programs along those lines, uh, sports arbitrage, betting. Those are the type of things that fall into the high yield investment category. If you're looking into non-high yield, we're talking insurance products, we're talking about prime bank notes, we're talking, and these are all scams, by the way. Everything I'm talking about is all scams. They're talking about uh, viatical insurance programs. Those are the type of things, because they're not what we call the exotics. And the exotics are always the high yield, and, of course, they always claim they're not high risk, and any high yield program is high risk. That's why they call it high yield. There are no such things as legitimate HYIPs or high yield investment programs. There are legitimate high yield investments, and that's the difference between the two terminologies. And, yes, there's insurance products. And, yes, there are banknotes that can be traded, but there is no such animal as a prime bank note. Uh, They prey on class warfare. They prey on uh, Christians. They prey on Jews. They prey on specific target markets, what we call affinity fraud. There are specific products that are designed to go after certain groups. And they will target those groups. For example, here in Southern California, we had a major Ponzi that was going on, and their whole target was illegals. And the reason why they targeted illegals is because they knew they would never go to the authorities. And they probably stole $200, $300 million. Wow. This is how big it gets. It's not so much how much each person loses. It's collectively how many people do they reach and what is the total volume. To put this in perspective for you, and – I get this all the time when I do seminars, and we go out and we do public seminars and speaking engagements, so if anybody's interested, they can contact me. But when I go out and I explain to people, I said, the first question I get is usually this, well, if this thing is so big, why haven't I heard about it? Because I tell them how big it is. In the last three years, over $300 billion was stolen right here in the U.S., and I said $300 billion. Worldwide, it was over $500 billion. It's probably 40% underreported. But the reason why you haven't heard about it is if you just lost your life savings, and think about this for a moment. If you just lost your life savings to an investment scam, do you really think when you get together with a family on Thanksgiving, you're going to bring it up and talk about it? No, yeah. I'm going to the mountaintop and shout that out. Oh, yeah. You're not going to go tell your, you're not going to tell your best friends. Uh, and you get out, go out to dinner with a bunch of friends and say, well, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I just lost my life savings you know, to a Ponzi and make a joke of it. No, you're embarrassed. Your ego gets in the way. And people won't report it. And this is what we try to tell people. Silence is a con man's best friend. Because if more people told about their losses, more people become aware of it. That's why we we emphasize education so strongly. Because we know if we can educate the public, eventually people will stop falling for this stuff. Uh, it, that's That's an interesting point you made about silence. Because the converse is true. Uh, I know of a a scam, a pyramid scam that was running in Southern California, oh, 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. It was, I think it was called an airplane ride or something. 
and you bought a seat on the airplane, and there was the pilot, and there was a that was one, and then there's a layer of two, then a layer of four. Oh yes, yes, yes. A layer of eight, and I think then maybe a layer of sixteen. I don't remember. But the objective was to bring them in at the bottom layer, and then they start working up, and then it splits, and it works up, and it splits, and it works up, and it splits. And there were some people that made some really big money on that thing. I mean, I I have some some uh, acquaintances. In Southern California, that made sixteen thousand, thirty-two thousand cash money, until all of a sudden the things started to crash and started to crumble. And there, uh, the, the, this was all over San Diego County. And uh, the, the, before you know it, the Attorney General's office is on the radio making say this, you know, and the, he got on this on these talk shows and. People were calling in and saying, well, it's a gift, it's this, it's that. And the right. Attorney General says, no, 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 it's not, it's not. And, uh, and and believe me, if we ever catch you or your friends or whoever's doing it, you will all be made to pay one way or another. Uh, before you know it, the whole thing just, everybody starts thinking the other guy's a, <laughs> his Guy standing next to him is a is is a uh, a spy for the oh, yeah. <laughs> general's office. Now all of a sudden everybody's you know suspecting everything, and the whole thing falls of its own weight. And there's a lot of people that lost thousands of dollars. Well, uh, let me explain to the audience, and so you understand this: in every one of these Ponzi's, approximately twelve to fifteen percent of the people are going to make money, and the vast majority of it, the balance of it, the eighty-five to 88% are going to lose their shirt. They're going to lose everything. There's right. always people that obviously they wouldn't run these things and they wouldn't get these things, wouldn't get in traction unless somebody was getting paid. And that's how they rope you in. Well, they've been paying for X number of years. And, you know, this is a great program. I'm in it. I'm, you know, they start showing checks and they, you know, they flash money around. They do this on, uh, they do it on YouTube now. Uh, it's a way to get people to join up under them. But the bottom line is, yeah, there's a select few that are going to make some money, and they're always the first ones in. They're the first ones out, by the way. A lot of these people put money in initially. They get their initial investment back plus a huge percentage because they're what we call priming the pump. And secondly is, as soon as they get that, they get out. They don't have any money invested. All they have invested is how I many they get referral fees, and the only thing that they're going to lose is the referral fees. If you think that somebody got in early on this that's really promoting this thing is still in it when you're getting in it, They've been out of it for so long, it's pathetic. They don't tell you that because they knew if they did, you wouldn't join. But what I'm saying is they don't have a lot of money at risk. The only thing they've got at risk is whatever their referral commissions are. And that if it goes down, they don't care because they've already got all their money in, got their, they've got a nice return off of it, they're out of it, and all they're doing is saying, okay, I'll move on to my next Ponzi. And we have people that move from Ponzi to Ponzi to Ponzi. We know because we see them in every one. And so we've been working with law enforcement, and hopefully now they're going to start going after the promoters of these things as well as the people who are running them and start making them pay a, a hefty price for it. And hopefully that means a prison time as well as having to give back all the money. So, And the thing that people have to understand is, is that any, in any Ponzi, if the government goes in and shuts it down, they have a right to do what is called clawback. And that means that if you come up on the list and you made $30,000, the government has a right to come to you and ask for that $30,000 back. And they will. Even if you went out and bought a new car with it. Even if you went out and bought a new car. You're responsible for it because you were involved in an illegal enterprise and what you received was illegal. illegal. It was illegal funds. The uh, It'd be like, if, for example, if, if you had a knock on the door and there's this kid standing there and he's saying, hey, uh, I work for XYZ Company. We ordered these 
you know, VCRs or whatever, you name the product. And we got more of them we know what to do with. They made a mistake on the order. And, hey, uh, here, I've got this thing, and normally it's $129, and I'm selling it for $29.95. We just got to get rid of them. And you buy it. And about five days later, there's a knock on the door, and it's a police officer. Did you buy an XYZ? Yes, I did. Okay, give it to me. You got to give it back to them because it's stolen property. And it was you. You should have known that you can't get a hundred and twenty-nine dollar whatever it is for twenty-nine ninety-five. So the first time, no problem. But if you do it the second, third, fourth, and fifth time, and they keep coming knocking on your door, there's going to come a time they're going to knock on the door. They're going to put you in handcuffs and they're going to hard call you off because when they cart you off, you now have become part of the syndicate. You are an accomplice now. You're no longer a victim. And at some point in time, the victimology goes away and the accessibility and being an accessory takes over. And when we see these same people going from scam to scam to scam or Ponzi to Ponzi to Ponzi, and there's a difference between the two words, and I'll explain that in just a minute, uh, they know what they're doing. This is not a fluke. They, you know, they can tell you it's legitimate to their blue in the face, but there's ways you know that they're not legitimate. But the difference between a Ponzi and a scam is this. A Ponzi, it pays people to get more people in. A scam is always a payment that is going to be promised for a future event happening, and the future event never happens. And the scams come into play in a lot of the insurance type of programs that they're out there offering because the event has to take place, the event never takes place, and so nobody gets paid except for the people that were running it and the people they got out there to promote it. Now, they get paid, but I'm talking about the people that are participating. If you join into an investment Ponzi program or some kind of a trading program and you're getting some payment out of it, that's what makes it a Ponzi. But that's the difference between a Ponzi and a scam, and I hope that's clear to everybody. I cannot uh, – I want to step back just a minute from the previous thing you were talking about. I cannot tell you how many times, when, uh, particularly when I lived in Southern California, that I would see somebody sitting at a gas station with a – with a rider truck, with a roll-up gate, uh, a roll-up door in the back, and selling stereo equipment off the back of his truck. Oh, yeah. And it, and it was always around the holidays, always around the holidays. And other times of year, I would see them, see people with that same type of truck selling tires and and rims out of the back of the truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it seemed to be the two things that I saw most when I was out and about was either stereo equipment uh, and uh, tires and rims. And you know, I mean, you just know that you're sitting there buying stolen property that's uh, sitting right there. And they're well, doing you it right. Know. <laughs> well, you should know. And they're sitting there right in the middle of a of a, a, a big super pump station with all the all the pumps and everything and people coming in and out. And they got their truck right there. They may as well put a banner on the side that says, that says tires, discount tire or something, you know. Exactly. But, but there are people sitting there, and I just, I, I just would shake my head and I go, "What is wrong with you?" I mean, you know, uh, it, it makes you wonder. It, you want me to really shock you and your audience? Sure. You see, when go we ahead, first I'm got right? in this, when we first got into this, and like I said, I started researching this in 2004. I formed Eagle in 2008. Usually, the people we found running these things were the typical con person. I mean, we just, you know, it, it wasn't anybody that, you know, that really we were shocked at. And to be honest with you, I thought since I've been around this since 2004, I could never be shocked. Well, never say never because I got shocked because lately, 
and I'm talking within the last year to year and a half, the people that we have found running these Ponzi's were attorneys, CPAs, financial planners, pastors, rabbis, deacons, elders, bishops, and we even had a conservative talk show radio host got caught up one of these out of Minnesota. And there even was a chiropractor and an architect that got that were running one and I'm when I talk about they're not innocent victims that did got duped and didn't know what they were doing. They were running them. There was a pastor and his sons out of southern Indiana stole $120 million from the congregation of four or five churches claiming they were building churches. All anything they were building is were their own mansions. Well, we had a bishop out of St. Louis who was running a $50 million plus uh, real estate investment scam out of England of all places. And, I mean, and the list goes on and on. And that, to be honest with you, because these are people we were taught to trust. Right. And what I try to tell everybody when we go out and we do seminars, we tell everybody, say, look, we're not telling you not to trust. What we're telling you to do is verify first, then trust. We're doing it backwards. We trust, and then later on we go, well, you know, maybe I should check this out. No, you verify up front. It's real simple, folks. If it's that good of an investment and it's real, it'll still be there two months, six months, nine months. You know, It makes no difference to the timeline. It'll still be there, and it'll still be just as good to join then as it is right now. But you've got to really, truly check it out, and you've got to verify stuff. And, and I, we do that on – we talk about it on our website. We call what we call due diligence. We talk about uh, red flag warnings. We point out these things that people need to be aware of, and you just do a little bit of research, and you're going to find out a ton of information. And it'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of financial disaster because you're not going to lose your life savings to these scammers. And they always start out small and get you to go big. Excuse me, they get you to go bigger because they know that you're hooked. You're going to continue to put money in. Sure, Lynn. This is you mentioned it, so this is a good time. Why don't you? And we'll do it again before we end the show. But why don't you go ahead and give us that website information and uh, places that you have already supplied people locations that they can go and and learn a little bit more about what we're talking about today. Okay, our website is www. Eagle Research. Associates.org. Eagle Research Associates.org. Correct. Okay, very good. You said you had some red flags on your on your site and a few other things also. What are some of those red flags? Can you let us know a few of those? Sure. One of the largest red flags we have about uh, when when you're investing with a company, uh, there are certain requirements that they have to comply with. Um, first of all, you'd like to know they have a physical address, they have an actual, uh, that it's a real physical address, that they have a telephone number, they have a customer support 800 number, or if not an 800 number, but at least they have a customer support, and it's verifiable that that really is a phone number that belongs to them. Usually what you'll find is if you go online and look at any of the investment Ponzi's that are out there, you will never see a physical address for them anywhere on their website. You will and if you have a phone number, it could also be a cell number that is a toss-away cell that's being forwarded to another number, to another number, and to another number. You you have to constantly check this to make sure these things are real. But the major red flags are this: if your sole contact is so and so at gmail.com, 
not the company name, that's a major red flag. If they don't have a physical address and they say, well, we're in cyberspace, we don't need to have a physical address, we're, we're, all, we're around the world, it's a major red flag. If you're offering investments to just one U.S. citizen, I don't care where the company says it's domiciled, it has to be registered and licensed with the SEC. We tell you to go to the SEC. If they say they don't have to be registered with the SEC, that is a red flag. If they're trading in commodities, they have to be registered with the CFTC, and that just stands for the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. The person who's offering and selling these securities online has to be registered. If they are selling investments, they have to be in, registered, insured, or they have to be registered and licensed with the SEC, with FINRA. And if they're not, that's a red flag. If they're trading commodities, hedge funds, etc., that falls under the CFTC. That falls under the uh, NFA. So they have to be registered and licensed with the NFA. If they're not, it is a major red flag. If they're offering insurance products, they must be licensed and registered to sell insurance in every state in the United States in which this organization is offering to do business. If they're not, it's a red flag. Every company out there that sells securities has a broker ID number. If it's not visible on their website, it is a red flag. If they claim they're registered, and a lot of them are currently doing this, they're registering with companies house in UK. Now, to be a registered company, it's the same thing as you went to your Secretary of State and filed out a registration form and said, I want to register this company. The fact that you register with the Secretary of State does not make you legal from the standpoint of what you're planning to do. It just makes you legally registered in the state, but it doesn't mean that you're actually doing the business that you claim you registered for. It's just a registration process. It's the same thing with Companies House. So if you're offering securities out of London or out of the U.K., not only do you have to be licensed with Companies House as a company, you also have to be licensed with FSA. That is their regulatory body, the same as our SEC or Securities and Exchange Commission. That's who it is in the U.K. And if they're not licensed and registered with them, they're not legal. So those are red flags. Those are the type of red flags that we're talking about. And it's just using some common sense and sitting back and saying, well, if they do this, okay. Uh, oh, they're not doing that. Uh, maybe I should check a little bit more. It, it's designed to say, if you saw somebody waving a red flag, what do you do? You stop. You want to find out what's going on and see if it's okay to proceed. That's what these things are identified. These are just markers that tell you there's something major wrong here that you need to go check further. Now, you may check further, and they get all those issues get resolved. It's rare that it happens on the Internet, trust me, and from that standpoint. But what I'm saying is you can verify whether they're real or not. You just got to do, and that's where we get into from going from red flags. That takes us over into due diligence, which just says, I'm going to go check all this stuff out and see if I can get the answers to match up and satisfy me that it's a legitimate company. So when you're doing the research, you're really doing your due diligence. And a lot of times people get hung up on that word due diligence. They think it has to be, you know, it's really, you know, complicated. It's not complicated. It's just simple. What would I do? I mean, if you're going to go buy a car, do you just walk into the dealership and say, I like that car, I want to buy it? You pretty much have researched on the Internet all the different cars that are out there, what you like about them, what you don't like about them. You're, you're reading reviews. We do more research for buying a car and a washing machine and a, you know, a TV set than we ever do for our investments. And what I'm telling people to do, do the same thing you do for everything else that you're doing. Just do it when you're doing investments. It's more important to you because it's your life savings. 
let and me ask. This is just little tricks of the trade that we try to, you know, we put up there on the website. It's helping people understand what they need to look for and how they can do due diligence. And it's real simple. It's not complicated. And if they don't know what to do, they're not sure. All they have to do is contact us. We'll gladly help them. What is it that makes, in particular, seniors more vulnerable? I think there's a couple of factors. Uh, number one, we've got to identify why do they attach seniors. Well, first of all, that's where the money is. Let's get real. Uh, they worked all their lives. They've saved a lot of money, and the bulk of the wealth in the U.S. is in seniors. That's where the the primary, uh, probably, if you looked at it, you know, yeah, we've got billionaires that are young, and we've got all these other stuff. But the primary wealth is combined in the senior market. But when you go after the senior market, you're also getting two others for the price of one. Because we know that out of all seniors, that 85 to 95 or 85 to 90 percent of seniors are either two groups, Christian or Jews. So now you have the three biggest target markets in one entity, senior citizens. So that's why they target them. But why do they fall for it? Because we've been taught to trust our professionals. We've been taught to trust people that are referred to us by our friends and our family members. And what they do is, is probably the bulk of people that get involved in this stuff are really truly because of a friend got into something. And a classic example of that is Bernie Madoff. The way he got all his clients was through the people that got in and their friends. And that's the way Bernie escalated his amount of money that he was able to steal from the Jewish community. Not only that, but who he was. But they also give you, uh, they make you believe that the person who's offering the security has all this knowledge and intelligence, and they're, you know, they've done it for years. It's a confidence thing. They get them comfortable with them. They they prey on the fact that they know that they can make them sound good because we know what's happening. We've seen 401ks become 101ks in many cases. We've seen medical costs rise. We've seen expenses going up. Let me look at gas. And when people start getting a little leery about their normal investments and are not getting the returns they need to be able to maintain their lifestyle, they're willing to take on a little more risk, even though they know there might be something maybe a little shady about it, but, hey, I need to get a supplement to my income. Now, the thing that they do is, remember, they always tell you this high-risk investment is no risk. It's, you know, they always tell you the principal's guaranteed. They're lying. They're telling you that there's no risk associated with this high rate of return. They're lying. But because we're desperate, because we are living in fear, a lot of us, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So they play on desperation. They prey on fear. They prey on the fact that people have had their retirement incomes reduced because of all the things that happened in the stock market and all the other investment portfolio they've got. Their CDs aren't paying anything anymore because, I mean, my gosh, you know, if you're lucky to get 3% a year, and they've been used to getting 9 to 10% a year. When you have that, that kind of uh, in spending power taken away from you, you're always looking for alternative investments. And you're willing to do some things that you might normally not would have done if you had just stopped and thought about it. So it's a combination of things. It's not just one particular thing, but there are some out there that prey on the elderly that are going to die. And we just... Uh, we just had one here in Orange County, 14 plus $5 million, had 127 victims, and before they ever got him to trial, I think 80-some of those victims had died. By the time they got the trial over, it took two years for the trial, another 30 or 40 had died. Out of the 127, there was only four or five that are still living. 
and he wiped out their entire life savings and had no remorse for it whatsoever. I mean, he, I, it, it, I'll be honest with you, that just defies my understanding. I don't know how somebody can do that to that type of person, but he did. And he's only in his 50s. Fortunately, he got 90 years. And uh, I think he's going to be away for a long time. Uh, he'll die in prison, which where he should. Uh, but my point is simply this. It's easy to get caught up in this stuff because a lot of times we're hearing it from friends and family members that are telling us about something, and we don't want to be left out. We want to get on the gravy train too, because boy, if Uncle Fred's in this, uh, you know, I I want to you know I want to be able to keep up with Uncle Fred. I can't let him get ahead of me with my investments. So you're going to jump in. Well, I think uh, I think along the way, Len, I think some of the, some of this stuff is actually taking place at, on some level. Although it may be legal, but it's—I guess you could almost call it a, a legal scam—and and, and that's me saying that—is that these some these subprime mortgages and, and uh, default swaps and and whatever that was that was going on that made a lot of people a lot of money. Other people are now left out in the cold and they can't afford this and they can't afford that, and they're losing their their backside to, uh, left and right. Uh, th- those are almost like a legal scam, I, I would think. Well, in essence, they, you're right. They were. Uh, uh, that would be a whole two-hour conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> it would be. It. It definitely but would my be, bottom yeah. line is this. Again, it's, you know, I worked in the subprime mortgage industry, so I know well what goes on within the side, but you have to understand sure. There were government mandates that we had to make X, Y percentage of loans whether we wanted to make them or not. We didn't have a choice because the fines were going to be greater than what the per- what we would have lost if we wrote the subprime loan. Uh, there were jokes about the liar's loan. You didn't have to have any income verification. You could put whatever you wanted to put down on a sheet of paper, and whatever it was, you had to accept it. Now, that's a license to steal right there. And then you had, and then we go from there, and we threw all the other layers on, and how they bundled those, and how they sold them out as investments when they were really nothing more than just crap. There was no underlying security there whatsoever. And of course, we had the housing bubble, and as the housing prices kept going up and up and up, the the amount of money that was able to be turned was even greater. And then, of course, the bubble burst, and now people are upside down in their houses. And there was a study done just released here in California that. 100,000 people owe more on their houses than what they are worth. And that was just in one county. Wow. Wow. I so guess it, yeah, it, it, it's a whole different realm than what we deal in. But yes, I'm familiar with it. And I know how some of the, how a lot of that was played. But, uh, you know, and this is the thing, you know, and of course, the, one of the things that everybody will do, and you have to understand another thing they do and how they convince people in. They make you think that what this is, what you're investing in here, is no different than Social Security because they'll claim Social Security is a Ponzi. They'll know. claim, you know, and they'll claim other things are Ponzi's. So it's always, well, if we were doing anything wrong, the one I love is, well, if we were doing anything wrong, law enforcement always come in and shut us down. And I'm like, well, unfortunately, law enforcement's so overwhelmed, they're still trying to play catch up. You know, not only did they open the barn door and let all the horses out. Now they're going out and trying to get the horses, but the horses have had horses, and the horses' horses have had horses, and now all of a sudden, instead of just you know 20 horses, we got 100,000 horses, and you can't get them all back in the barn overnight. And that's one of the reasons why it formed Eagle was because we found that 1,800 FBI white-collar crime investigators 
were moved out of FBI white-collar crime and moved over to Homeland Security, and not one of them was replaced. When that announcement came out in 2006, the Internet exploded with Internet investment scams. There is no coincidence of that. It was designed because they knew they could almost act with impunity. One of the reasons why he formed it, Eagle, was, number one, to educate the public, and two, was to come alongside and help law enforcement because they knew they were woefully, inadequately understaffed. They were overworked. They're like every other agency. And one of the frustrations we've had is Congress hasn't passed a budget in three years. And the only thing the agencies have been able to do is maintain treading water. They can only cover their ongoing expenses that they had because all we do is get continuing resolutions. So they don't have money that they put into their budgets to do the type of research and the type of investigation that has to be done to put a stop to this stuff. And if Congress would pass a budget, there's a chance that those dollars could now be put together that they could actually start really playing catch-up. In the meantime, we fill that gap and we fill that role. And we're glad to do it. Uh, we've, we've been able to shut down over 28 of these illegal investment programs. We could do a lot more. But we're only limited by how much money that the public supports us with, with their donations. And one of the things, I'll make it very clear, people say, well, if you're working with the federal government, you're working with all these agencies, why don't they pay you? The simple solution is there is no budget. Now, if there was a budget, do I believe they're going to pay us you know, millions of dollars? No. Uh, there, it, any amount that they could send to us would help with, the, with what we do and, and the assistance we provided them. But the bulk of our support really has to come from the public because that's who we're trying to protect. We're trying to protect the public. We're trying to, and that's why I do as many speaking engagements as I can. It's why I do as many interviews on the radio and TV that I can, is to get people aware this is a huge financial catastrophic disaster. And I'll be honest with you, it's part of why we're having such a hard time recovering from this downturn in our And we are back live at the Valley View Community Food Center. Uh, Valley View Community Food Bank, I'm sorry. Uh, and we are talking with Jessica Ramirez, who is uh, part of the staff, and she also runs the thrift shop here at Valley View. Uh, the thrift shop's her baby, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, uh, tell us, Jessica, how long have you been... Uh, you, you were fundamentally interest, uh, involved in opening this thrift shop at this location, weren't you? Yes, yes. And how long has it been open? It's been three months now. Three months. How's it going? It's doing great, actually. Um, the first two weeks that we got, we made over $1,000, so that's pretty good for the food bank. That's good. Now, uh, now all of the proceeds go to? Valley View Community Food Bank. They all go to the food um, bank for? 100%. 100% for yeah. food and other items they might need, fuel mm-hmm. for trucks, whatever. Yeah, whatever. electricity, building costs. Anything that they need it for, they'll use it. Now, where do your items come from for your thrift shop? I mean, is it do you buy these from other places, or are they all donated? All donations, 100% donations. Nothing is bought in that thrift store. Uh-uh. Not a thing. Not a including thing. Including the fixtures. Including the fixtures. Yeah, <laughs> that was a blessing. That's great. Yeah. Great. So now what is it, that, I mean, I, I know and I, I've known you for a little while now uh, through knowing your father, mm-hmm. uh, and what is it that caused you to decide personally that you want to be involved in this in this overall operation? Well, ever since they opened, you know, I've been helping with the front office stuff, anything that they had to do, you know, entering or filing for clients. 
And then uh, since we moved into this big building, I knew he was going to need help, you know. So he asked me um, if I'd be willing to help him with the thrift store, and I said yes. And I'd rather do that than go to school, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, is this something that you're going to eventually uh, get really involved at the at the very top levels of the food bank, maybe even have your dad retire? I'm planning to. Anything that he needs help with, you know, I'll be here for him. Oh, very nice. That's yeah. very nice. Now, you've got other brothers and uh, sisters that are involved. Uh, you're, the, you're the oldest daughter, Oldest right? daughter, yes. And and you have two older brothers? Two older brothers than me. Joseph uh-huh. and Jesse Jr.? Yes. And now they're both, uh, those, both of those guys are involved. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, they're really involved. What, yeah. is, what does Joseph do for the... Joseph, he basically does anything that needs to be done in the warehouse area, from cleaning up to getting volunteers... Um, some work to do anything in there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesse Jr.? He receives donations. Okay. Yeah, helps people take stuff out of their cars. He weighs them, gives them receipts. Let, let's talk a little bit about that process. I hope to have your dad on here, but I, I know he's awfully busy with all the tours. He's, oh, really? he's running a lot of tours through here today. Yeah, a bunch of people. A bunch of really nice. Um, uh, when you say weighs them, I mean, what is the reason for weighing the donations? Um, it's to give the person who's donating a tax write-off. So right. by kind of weighing the food, you'll know how much, you know, the cost is. And if it's canned, they kind of know, like, you know, $3 a can, $2 a can. So they can get a tax write-off. So they can claim it on their, yeah. uh, on their income. Uh-huh. And they also do the inventory so we know how much pounds are coming in and how much is going out, you know, and what the need is for the food bank. Now, there are some areas that are... Uh, Regulated, I, I guess you can say, by the state. I mean, there are there are state forms and state reports that you have to issue. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And and what is the what are some of those and what is the reason for? Some? Well, um, for grants, of course, uh, we need to know you know how how the food bank is doing. So um, who donates to us or like the volunteers when they when they clock in and out, they do their time. So grants is a big deal from the government. And um, they like to see all the paperwork, you know, in order for us to get that money. So you've got a, there's a lot of documentation that goes on here. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says to you, oh, yeah, you're just giving out food, it's really more than that. Yeah, t- tons more. We have our front office. They stay after hours just entering plans to the computer make sure everything matches up. So Now, what does a person have to do to be able to get food from this food bank? All they need is a valid ID, proof of residence, and a birth certificate for children under 18, and then they're able to get a food box. And that's it. And they can get that food It's what's termed an emergency food box? Emergency food box, yes. And they can get that how frequently? Once a it's month? Once every 30 days. Every 30 uh-huh. days. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's not necessarily monthly. It's a 30-day span. Yeah, it's a 30-day span. Uh-huh. Now, when somebody comes in for their for their food, uh, because they have a need for food, mm-hmm. um, they can, they just go to the office, they indicate that they're here, you check the records to see if yeah. they're within the time period required, yeah. and no questions asked, they take their food box. They take their food box. Even if they come before their 30 days, we would prefer the 30 days because uh, we want to feed as much people as we can within that time. But if they come before that and they say, you know, we're out of food, we need something, you know, we still give them something. We don't turn down anybody. Right. Yeah. Now, 
I, I do know in, in talking to your dad that there have been many occasions where somebody has come in the dark of night uh, over the weekend when you're, when the food bank is closed and some and, and he gets he gets these calls all the time, doesn't he? That people people that are in need they may be in need of shelter, they may be in need of any number of things other than yeah. just food, mm-hmm. and he's got quite a network, so he can for the most part. Um, try to give them at least some temporary relief. Yeah, help them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long has it taken him to put this thing together? I mean, this network is huge. Uh, he, this has been doing it since what? Uh, 2009, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, 2009, is that what it was? I think so, yeah. Um, so when, when somebody comes and says, I have a need, mm-hmm. uh, as much as possible, the answer is always yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, as far as your aspect of what you are primarily uh, concerned with, uh, what are the hours of your thrift store? It's 9 to 4, Monday to Friday, Saturday 9 to 1. So you're open on Saturdays also? Yeah. So it's 9 to 4, so a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity there for people to come by. Has business been good so far? Uh, you indicated that it was good to start, but is it is it? Yeah, it's, it's been Overseeding the past, you know, months. Every month is a, a game. Really, and, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of stuff back there. I just took a walk through there recently. <laughs> You're gonna have to have some shelf stretchers, or yeah. some wall stretchers, or something. I mean, do you? Is, is there any ever a case where you say to somebody, uh, I, "I'm sorry, I just can't take that." Does that ever happen? It does happen because um, it costs for us to throw things out, you know, and a lot of people, um, they've been giving, giving us great stuff, but if someone comes in with a broken TV, like we've gotten that before, or um, some smelly clothes that we can't take, or, you know, anything that's not usable for us to sell, we're not able to take it because it's, it's coming out of our pockets to throw it away. Right. Yeah. And if you, and you don't, have the facility, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't have the facility to resurrect it. In other words, restore. Yeah. Yeah, to do any kind of restoration. It's got to be. It's got to be usable stuff coming into the door. Yeah. Uh huh. And so you you say you have TVs. How many TVs do you got back there? Hundreds. Oh yeah, it feels like a hundred. But our TVs, you know, they're at low cost, ten to thirty dollars at the max. Really. But um, you know, there's a the big box in the back, so they don't sell much. But um, I do have a guy who came in the other day, surprisingly, and we had monitors and uh, towers that didn't work. And uh, he took them, and he says that he, you know, saves them from the landfills and stuff. So we've been getting people in, um, you know, connections, even for the thrift store to help us out. You know, instead of throwing out electronics just, you know, anywhere, you know, we could give them to someone who's going to save it from the landfills. So you've got certain things that people, when you say save them from the landfills, do they buy them from you and then they fix them and resell them themselves or are they fixing them on your behalf? They don't uh, They don't fix them. What What I understand, he takes them apart, you know, takes the copper out, whatever, you know, he can recycle and then just dispose of what he can. Does he know. buy them from you or if they're not functioning, you just, you just let him take them? Or what I just, do? yeah, for now, I just let him take them, but... Um, I, we are going to sit down and see if we could do a little donation kind of thing. Yeah, I sure. do have someone who does uh, donations for glassware, so that's pretty good. Glassware meaning? M- meaning like if I have um, cups, kind of. We don't like to put, uh, 
mixed match cups out there. We kind of want to sell sets, you know, so they will go faster. And if I have a mixed match set or something that, you know, is really not usable, a lady comes in and she gives us a donation for it, and then she um, actually paints the glass and does, you know, refurbishing with it and sells it herself. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So now, how is it that you um, got involved in the thrift store and the merchandising and the, and the display of products? Did you have any of that in your background before? None at all. None <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's just something you just grabbed hold of and mm-hmm. and you like and you obviously like to do it. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Actually, um, when we first came in, I was going through some stuff, and then I found a, a card, and I believe it said, um, um, you might not have the wisdom, but if you have the understanding, then, you know, anything is possible. Sure. And I know I didn't have the wisdom to do it because, you know, this is my first time, but I have an understanding of how things should go, so it's been a good success. Well, it looks really nice back there. I mean, uh a young lady, you're wise beyond your years. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and you're doing a, a great job. Uh, do you ever come across some things that are, I mean, really valuable? Yes, actually, the past week, um, we've had, um, it's like a pair of silver. We looked it up, and it was worth close to $300. Wow. A little tiny little knick-knack pair. Yeah, it was amazing. And also, I got... Um, some posters in the other day, and they look really authentic. I still have to go check them out, but um, if it is authentic, it's worth $1,700. Now, what do you do with something like that? Well, there's a place in Scottsdale, and they um, look through posters, and they'll authenticate it for you, and then they also sell, uh, buy and sell. So So in a situation like that, uh, you, you wouldn't, are you going to ever set up a, a collectibles or a higher-end area, or is it something that you're going to take to somebody that mm-hmm. deals in that and get a yeah. discount price for it, but nonetheless more than you would on the shelf? Yeah. It would be nice, you know, if we had that room in the store to get something like collectibles, shelving, because I do have, you know, a couple things. But um, as far as right now, we have no room for that, Yeah. And so when somebody brings something in and you, uh, how do you even begin to suspect that it might be of value, of um, greater than greater than would be a normal thrift shop type item? Well, I have I had two volunteers come in and they helped me from the start, and uh, she kind of showed me how like if there's like stickers on the bottom of something or a stamp or something engraved, anything with the signature, something that looks you know older than what you normally see, she says right away inspect it because you never know what it is. So that's that's what I'm going off of. So what you need to do is hold these things somewhere so when the Antiques Roadshow comes through... <laughs> yeah, take them out there. <laughs> take them out there and see if some, one of those collectors will give you something for it. Yeah. I mean, if you found something that is a... I mean, what is that old that old, old story about somebody found an original, uh, original copy of the Constitution behind some old uh, picture or something? Wow. And it's worth... Uh, Hundreds of thousands. I mean, that's an old story. Mm-hmm. It could be an old wives' tale too. I don't know, but but I mean, there's there's a, there are enough stories about that kind of stuff that people have had a find uh, behind something that they may have bought at a garage sale or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. But you don't feel the necessary the need to go to garage sales because you're getting a lot of that stuff in. Yeah. Uh huh. Now I had I I recall just a couple of weeks ago somebody called us uh, uh, between myself and Deborah because we do some things for the food bank and they called us with regard to uh, a rummage sale a parking lot sale that their organization was having. Mm-hmm. And your dad, I, I guess, took a truck out there, and then after it was over, they loaded the truck up and they brought the truck back. So you had uh, at least a half truck, I imagine, of, of stuff. Yeah. Do, do you ever find the things of value in there, or is it the case where a lot of that stuff is just leftover stuff? That, yeah, it's usually just leftover stuff, stuff that we can nickel and dime for the food bank. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, we do get estate sales, you know. Um, if uh, they can't sell, you know, at estate sales, if they come in here, you know, we can make we can make good money off of that. Oh, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Some of that stuff is very valuable stuff. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, what's uh, what's the next uh, on the horizon for the for the thrift shop? Is there anything cooking? You got a, got holiday specials or anything coming up? Um, let's see. We're getting Christmas stuff out now, so hopefully that'll be on the shelves by next week. Um, but we're always getting new stuff, you know. And every day we're doing sales, you know. And whatever we have a lot of, we do sales on. So I know a couple weeks ago we did fifty percent off furniture because we were packing there with furniture. So it's always depending on, you know, what we have, what comes in, how much of what we have, you know, and then we'll do sales on it. Clear it out. Mm-hmm. Clear it out. We always do bargaining, though. We always bargain because um, 100% of the proceeds goes to the food bank. So no matter what we get for it, as long as it's, you know, not just giving it away, we get a couple bucks for something, you know, it'll help. We, the clients are satisfied, and then we get, you know, a little something to give to the food bank. So if there's something on the floor and you've got it marked for, well, I don't know, $25. Well, let's, let me start there. What is the highest priced item you think you have out there right now? I have a $800 piano that's worth over $4,000. Really? Yeah. Was it an old upright or something? Or? Uh, no, it's a really nice one, actually. I'm not sure what year it is, but uh, it's pretty new. Mm-hmm. At a piano for $800, it is valued at more than... Yeah, the lady who donated to us said she bought it for $4,000. Wow. Yeah. Is it, it's, it's not like an electric keyboard. It's, no, it's a it's, piano. It's a piano. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh-huh. Boy, if I could play the piano, I might. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the most expensive piece you have right now. That's what I have. Now, now, if somebody came back, and let's use that piano as an example. If somebody came back, and I really love that piano, uh, could you help me out? Would you take 600 for it? I would do it. You would do it. I would do it, yes. Unbelievable, because there really is no bottom end on this thing. It's just pay yeah. me something somewhat reasonable. Yeah. I mean, if, if they come in and say, I'll give you 10 bucks, <laughs> you're not going to do that. Yeah, no. As long as we have a good turnover, you know, we want to get things moving in there. We want to get them in and we want to get them out. We don't want to have, you know, the same stuff the next day or the next week. We always want to have something new. Well, obviously, that's key. I mean, why would somebody come in next week and... Say the, same stuff. Say, say the same old stuff. Yeah. And you don't have enough room to store stuff and rotate um, through your own stores. So you no, know, no, gotta no. Move it. Is, there, is it ever the case that you get just too much stuff, aside from the stuff that's not usable, is it ever the case that you get just too much stuff and you have to dispose of it some other way? Um, books. Uh, we have a book lady, and we always get books, and she goes through them. She's very she's very great at organizing and pricing, and um, if we do get, you know, an overload of books, they'll take them. Um, they'll take them. They give them to school. 
or they take them to the prison for the men to to read. And um, they also do a sale, a fundraising sale of books that they have at the state fairgrounds. So. And then do they give you any of that money because you gave them some books, or how does that work? Mm, no, we just we just give them. Just let them take the books. And yeah, we just them, give them. Let them go do it. Yeah. Uh, so then, is that the case with anything else, or just primarily with things like the books? The books, um, if we know that it's going to a great cause, you know, like the books, how it goes to different charities or it goes to schools or goes to the prisons, then I'm more than happy to give it, more than happy. Because if we have our overload, then, you know, send it different ways. Sure, sure. As long as it's doing some good, being recycled in the community. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. Well, what, uh, what would you like people to know about your thrift store that we haven't already touched on? I think we touched bases on everything. Okay. We had a really clean store. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a clean store. I mean, there, there are. I have been in some thrift stores, quite frankly, where you walk in, and it stinks. Yeah. It just, uh, it, it it just doesn't smell good because of <laughs> some of the stuff. some of the clothes they have. Maybe if they're doing something with shoes or whatever, you know, and it it has that very lousy aroma. Yeah. But that's not the case here. Yeah, that's one thing we want to do is try to keep it clean. You know, we don't want people walking through dust. Right. We want them to be, you know, attracted to what we have because we do have good things. Right, so. right. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know you've got to get back there because yeah. you're, you're almost alone back there and you've got a lot of people walking through, mm-hmm. so that's good. Well, thanks again for coming to visit with me. Thank you. Jessica Ramirez, thrift store lady extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Jessica. Thank you. All righty. That was fun. That was Jessica Ramirez that was with us, and uh, and she's the manager and operator and chief cook and bottle washer at the uh, the Valley View Community Food Bank Thrift Store. 100% of the proceeds from the thrift store go to the food bank to help in the frame of their expenses of the building and also anything else that they might need to buy here, transportation, whatever the case might be. So. Uh, we're certainly glad that uh, she was able to take a few minutes of her time and visit with us. So we're going to uh, go back to playing some, uh, playing a little bit of uh, another programming, some pre-recorded programming that we have, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be back shortly after that. As I'm trying to as I'm trying to scroll through here, uh, see what we have. We got a little bit of time for lease. We are. We started that one earlier, and uh, and we did uh, did get through it. So uh, we're going to uh, see if we can find that one, and then we'll get uh, we'll get back with that very shortly. So uh, stay with us. We'll have another interview. We'll talk to more people here in just a few minutes. Thanks for listening.
we're going to make a little change in the program here. We're going to do it. something with the Gloria Felt. Gloria Felt was the former president of the Planned Parenthood Association. Uh, she was on our show some time ago, and we've got a uh, we have it. We have that show here, so we're going to start playing that uh, information. It's a, it was a pretty good conversation that we had with Gloria, so we'll play that now, and we'll come back and interrupt that. Come back with some more conversation with somebody else from the food bank as soon as we have an opportunity. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gloria Felt. Thank you. in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Yes, it is the Boomer and the Babe coming to you from Youngtown, Arizona in the great northwest valley of uh, the Phoenix Maricopa County area, and it is Thursday, April 5th, 2012, and we are broadcasting from those studios, the Feeding Arizona Complex in Youngtown, also home of the Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. If you ever have a a hankering to make a nice donation to a 501c3, please contact and consider donating to the Valley View Community Food Bank. You can get to them via their website, ValleyViewCommunityFoodBank.com. Jesse will be more than happy to. And we're back. We're back sooner than I thought we would be. We had somebody walk up to the booth here, and I, uh, I just shanghaied him and <laughs> and set him down in a chair. He didn't. He wasn't planning on this. It's uh, it's Lon Taylor, and Lon Lonnie is the. Uh, Executive director, I believe, is uh, the founder. Founder. The founder. Founder, founder executive director, chief cook and bottle washer <laughs> of something called Market on the Move. And Market on the Move is something where they rescue produce. Uh, there's a lot of produce rescuing going on uh, in in this part of the this part of the world with what you do and the food bank and the farmers markets and and so on. So, tell us a little bit about Market on the Move. When did it start? How did you get it started? What prompted you to start it? Well, we got started about two years ago, and what prompted us to start it is we've been uh, gleaning, uh, rescuing produce from the brokers down in Nogales. They have about five, uh, uh, a little over 5 billion pounds of produce across the border from Mexico and the United States, and we've been rescuing around 30 million pounds a year, providing it for food banks and churches and agencies throughout the United States. And we needed more distribution points, another way of getting it out because we we're still losing a lot of produce. So we came up with the idea of market on the move, where we would bring semi-loads of produce into different communities and set up kind of like a farmer's market for people who would like to support the program of rescuing the produce where they could come and get produce to give the people they knew who were in need in their community. Kind of like a neighbor help neighbor type program. And uh, when we started about two years ago, we had no idea what the need was out there. There's a lot of people who are not traditionally go to food banks or in need right now. And 
and a lot of people we weren't able to reach through the food bank system. And so it really caught on fire, and we're on pace to do about nine semi-loads of fresh produce every every week uh, throughout the valley here in Phoenix and in Tucson also. So when you say rescue the produce, mm-hmm. what are you rescuing it from? Well, from the dump down in Nogales. What happens is because of market demand, they have about, oh, close to... 1,200 semi-loads crossing the border every day. That means the brokers have to sell 1,200 semi-loads every day. If they can't sell it as fast as it comes in, they literally have to dump produce to make room for the new coming in. And so it's quality produce, just as good as you get in the grocery store because it's a point of entry. And so we keep it from going to the dump. We went and contacted all the brokers. They don't throw this stuff away. It's good. We will take it and then we give it to the food banks, agency, and rent for the market and move program. So it's your cash bin to find the trucks to transport it, find the drivers for the trucks, take it out to the various locations. Now, what do you do? You go to, as an example, a church or a community center with a truck full of produce. Yeah. You open the back end of the truck, and people come and take the produce or buy the produce. Now, what, what it is is the churches contact us because they've heard about the program. They can we have a market on the move. We bring the semi-truck in, and we set it kind of like a farmer's market. We set up tables. We set up produce along the tables. And then the people, if you want to become a member of the 3,000 Club, you can for $100 a year donation. And then you can come and get produce at the market on the move at any of the sites, whenever you want, up to 60 pounds. And then if you just want to support our program for a donation of $10, then you can come up and get up to 60 pounds to share with people you know who are in need. And so it's run like kind of like a farmer's market, set up in tables, have tents. So what is, uh, and then, of course, you're going to be able to have the fresh produce, uh, which includes fresh fruits as well. Yep. Uh, whatever's in season yeah, at the time. So what's in season as we speak today? What is Actually, the season starts around November and goes through May. We're getting a little bit of produce coming in right now, so we're doing some preliminary launching uh, market moves. We did three today here in Phoenix, did one in Tucson today. Mainly had tomatoes and cucumbers, mainly is what we're having, just starting to come in. The full varieties will not really start coming in until November. And what can people expect in November, December, January when they go to see what's in market at the move? We'll have yellow squash, we'll have gray squash, we'll have zucchini, we'll have watermelon, we'll have honeydew, bell peppers, yellow, red, green, orange bell peppers, green beans, corn, peaches, uh, avocados, quite, quite a variety. Anything that you're going to see, in, pretty much anything you're going to see in the produce department of your grocery store. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. And so they're going to be able to come in here for ten bucks to take sixty dollars, sixty pounds worth yeah. of produce out. Mm-hmm. Sixty pounds worth of produce to me, my way of thinking is a lot of produce. That's the whole idea of the program, because it's program's not designed for the people in need. It's designed for people who want to help the people in need in their community. That's why we have the large volume because we want people to get it, and usually. Who knows who's in need better than neighbors, friends, and relatives? They right. really know the people in need. So what we're doing is we're mobilizing people in the community who want to help other people. And everybody feels better. When somebody knocks on your door and says, hey, i got extra produce, could you take some? They feel good. You know, everybody feels sure. good about the program. 
So it could be the case where I could come and I could, uh, on any given weekend, I could pick up 60 pounds of produce for $10, and, I, and if I had some neighbors and I knew some neighbors that were having a little more difficulty, let's say, I could say, hey, I've got some fresh produce, come on over and, and take what you like, doesn't cost you anything. And that's pretty much what you've got to figure it out. Absolutely. Some people can take it and can it and give it for neighbors. Some people take it and they cook it and give dishes to their neighbors. Just let wow. people help people. That's uh, that's really a neat way of, of doing things, and especially if you've got neighbors and maybe you have somebody that's an invalid or, uh, or you know, a lot of the, uh, house, housebound or something like that. Yep. Can't, can't get out. That That's great. Now, uh, is is the market on the move stronger in certain areas than in others? For instance, is it stronger here in Sun City, Sun City West, uh, than other areas? Uh, where are some of the... Uh, the pockets, if you will, of, of people that really, really go after this program. Well, we're trying to spread it out more this year. So there are some sites that we did last year we won't be doing this year, and we're trying to spread more over in the East Valley. So we're trying to get um, each market move feel like around 10 miles from each other and so that we reach more communities. Also, we're trying to come up maybe with a rotation system. Maybe you'll be a host site this year. Next year, we'll try, you know, somebody else in a different community that we're not reaching. So we can reach as many communities as possible. What is the maximum number of sites that you can accommodate on any given Friday or, or Saturday or whatever day it is? Uh, this year in, in Phoenix, we'll be doing seven sites. Uh, we do a full semi-load at, um, at five sites, and then at two, there are half semi-loads. And so it will be seven sites every Saturday in Phoenix at some place, metropolitan Phoenix. There are some other uh, produce plans, programs, and I, and I, for the life of me, Lon, I can't think of the name of it, but it was it was on the internet and it cost a little more money, but you would you would get a basket of whatever that was available. Do you ever recall that one? Um, yeah, bountiful basket. Bountiful basket. That's yeah. the one thing. And there's others. Uh, I think those are co-ops, though. Yes, I think they are. And, and uh, so I don't know how they really function. Um, all our produce is, is the rescue produce, produce that you've thrown away. And, right. And, and mainly we set it up because we didn't want it to go in the dump. Right. But then, you know, why throw it away when there's people who need it? That's the main idea. On sure. Well, I think the Bountiful Bastards program has... You get a, a higher quality produce, probably a specific quality. Well, I, think you get, I think you can get meats also. Could be. But I think there's some meats available and some other things available there yeah. that maybe not. I mean, because it's a, more of a uh, well-rounded overall, put it all on your table and have a... Yeah. And I think it's more like a co-op. I think, if I understand right, it's, it's purchased produce, yes. and so it's just a, a lower price. For yeah. Than purchase. yeah it's not kind of like the food boxes we used to do years ago. It's where we go out and bolt buy and then provide a food box. And I think it was like for $20, you got like $50 worth of produce. Yeah, food. it may well like be something like that. I, I know, for instance, that my my daughter down in Chandler has done that, and there's been two or three of them that have gotten together and bought one large thing. And then you can always buy some extra grapes, and you can always buy some extra this and some extra yeah. that. Yeah. And that or, gets a certain segment of people in need, too, because you've got well, different it, levels, different needs out there. And well, it does. Everybody has their place. It's just like the food bank right here. Yeah. That's right. you got to have them. You need them. Now, what, what kind of affiliation do you have with the food bank? Do you have any at all here with the, the food bank? Me and Jesse, we work very closely. Uh, I try to support him financially as much as we can. We used to 
work. When I did, we did Mark and Move last year, we parked the trailers at his place here and cleaned them and everything. Uh, this year, he's getting so big and busy that we can't do that anymore, but, but we still cooperate and with equipment and supplies, and we, we do produce, too. When the produce season comes in, we give him produce. Um, he gives us water. We're always... Whoever has yeah, what, yeah. we always swap and help each other out. Now, you're still, you and I are on a board here. Yes, we are. <laughs> we haven't met for a while. Though. No, we haven't. No, exactly. Uh, the, the board that, that Lon and I serve on is um, is Feeding Arizona. And why don't you, I would not mention Feeding Arizona other than to say Feeding Arizona. Why don't you tell people what Feeding Arizona is all about? Well, Feeding Arizona is a, is a vision that Jesse, Jesse had. Um, he he wanted to set up an organization that could kind of be the hub that would bring in uh, different types of food, produce, water, canned food or whatever, and so other organizations could have a kind of like a, a food bank for food banks. And that was his vision that Feeding Arizona would be, that there would be all, a lot of the smaller pantries and smaller food banks that where they could come and get the supplies they need for their communities. Not that that's what the vision of Feeding Arizona was. And that has taken off. Yes, it has. It's grown, and, and we're not there yet, but we're getting right. closer and closer all the time. Right. And now Feeding Arizona gets products from all over the place, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, it comes in from California. It yep. comes in from maybe New Mexico, wherever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes in, and all kinds of different stuff comes in. All yeah. Time. Yeah. Uh, I know that he gets things from from Walmart, as an example, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of his his big contributors. Yes. And I've seen some things in here that I (laughs) I thought thought they would be still selling them on the the floor at at, at Walmart. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Amazing things that come in here, isn't it? Yeah. I think you get that from the distribution center. Right. So it's high-quality stuff, uh, very very unique, expensive stuff. Right. And that's one of the divisions because a lot of times in the community, you know, when you glean in the community, you can only get certain stuff within the community. So Feeding Arizona is bringing stuff outside the community and bringing it in so that we can have more stuff and a more variety of food and a greater volume. I don't think I'd be sending anything out of school if I said that you and I could have a short discussion about, uh, oh, and there went a nice... Uh, a nice bus pan that just hit the floor down there. Uh, I don't think I'd be speaking at a school and we're going to have a little short uh, discussion about feeding Arizona and some of the um, hurdles that have had to be uh, <laughs> had to be cleared. <laughs> yeah, so there were some there were some issues with some people trying to um, thwart the effort, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems that uh, that's pretty well under control right now. Yes. Well, you always have that type of stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's sad to say it's even competitive in the in the food banking and, and helping people business, I guess. Yeah, you know, everybody wants to get as much to help their clients as possible, and so you get some push and shove here and territorial claims, and, and uh, you know, we wish that everybody just want to help everybody, but... Sometimes your desire to help the people that you feel you're responsible, you know, it gets real strong. And so some people say, well, you can't have this because I need it for my people. And so there, because there's a lot of passion in what we do. 
And so you got to understand that sometimes. Uh, well, I understand the passion. I, I, I firmly understand the uh, fully understand the passion. I don't understand the the fact that they are that they are dispassionate with regard to helping everybody uh, when it comes to actually spreading it around. There is so much of food, insu- food insufficiency. There are so many people at so many levels in so many different areas of uh, of Arizona, Maricopa uh, County, Phoenix, the country uh, that are in need and can use and are willing willingly take whatever help they get that there is no one organization that I can think of, regardless of how big they are, regionally, locally, or nationally, that can take care of everybody. Absolutely true. It is not. It just cannot physically be done. Period. End of conversation. And actually, it's a proven. It's been proven through years and years that mm-hmm. the people who can help the people best are the people who are closest to those people. Right. And it's always your small pantries, small churches, and small groups that really know what the real need is and who can really help them. Big organizations where you have the decisions made far, far away, they really don't know what's going on in the local community. They do don't not. know the need. That's Something right. It's been like that for years. Right. And uh, since I've been involved, this is my this is the first time I've been, been involved in this kind of an operation at, at any level other than packing some boxes. Uh, some food boxes at the holidays a few years back when I got involved in it. Uh, I, I was amazed, absolutely amazed at, uh, I'll just say, the rancor uh, that was going on with some other organizations and agencies. And and, and it just, there was just, and everybody is in it for the good of the people, supposedly. Many of them faith-based. Uh, and it's just, Read your good book. <laughs> yeah, I know. Practice what you preach. <laughs> it's your book. You claim, you claim to follow the book. Follow the book. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and it's yeah. uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I, but I guess I'll make a political statement. I guess it's hypocrisy at what level, no matter where you are, from 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 here to Washington D.C. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna leave it at that. I, we're not gonna get into this. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the FCC will come by. Oh, that won't happen. Uh, at any rate, at any rate, I want to I want to thank you for coming by and visiting with me, and giving okay. us a little information about marketing on the move, and people can start looking at uh, finding you out and about uh, starting in November again. Yeah, just check the website www.the3000club.org, and okay. we post all the locations and. They welcome to come in and help themselves and help somebody in their community. There you go. Very good. Thanks for the time. I appreciate okay. it. Thank you. Thanks, Lonnie. And that was Lon Taylor talking to us a little bit about the uh, market on the move and the, uh, everything that they're getting involved in and they're doing. So we're going to go back to that uh, to that Gloria Felt uh, interview that we had and uh, see who else drops in that I could uh, grab by the Long scruff of the neck and put in a chair. We'll be back shortly. From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. 
Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Yes, it is the Boomer and the Babe coming to you from Youngtown, Arizona in the great northwest valley of uh, the Phoenix, Maricopa County area. And it is Thursday, April 5th, 2012, and we are broadcasting from those studios, the Feeding Arizona Complex in Youngtown, also home of the Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. If you ever have a, a hankering to make a nice donation to a 501c3, please contact and consider donating to the Valley View Community Food Bank. You can get to them via their website, valleyviewcommunityfoodbank.com. Jesse Ramirez, Executive Director and Founder of the Food Bank, We'll be more than happy to let you know how and uh, when you might be able to give them the assistance that they need from time to time. Uh, They're going to be moving into a new facility shortly, so I'm sure they'll be able to use some assistance there monetarily, food-wise to fill it, and also time and volunteers to help make that move. So valleyviewcommunityfoodbank.com. This is the Boomer the Vape Show, and I'm Pete Peters. And I'm Deborah Brown. And listen to that voice. We haven't heard that voice for a good number of weeks. She's been busy, as we say, on assignment. So uh, I've assigned her some other things, and she said she wanted to have this assignment today because of our guest. Uh, This guest today is right in Deborah's wheelhouse. She has a lot to do and a lot to say about (laughs) women's rights and so on and so forth. Uh, So our guest today, I'll introduce right away, is Gloria Felt. Uh, and she's written the new book called No Excuses, Nine Ways for Women to Take Charge, or ta- to, that they can change, I'm sorry, and how they think about power. Gloria, welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. We're glad to have you. Thanks. I'm delighted to be with you today. Well, I introduced it by saying that Deborah, this is in Deborah's wheelhouse also, and I wanted to make sure that uh, she was uh, she was involved in our discussions today. The nice thing about our show is we've got an hour. We can just talk about any number of things, and we can explore subjects possibly a little deeper than some of the things that you might be accustomed to doing, which is the, the soundbite shows and so on and so forth. So um, we're looking forward to this uh, a great deal. Uh, That's great. As, it's it's as, always nice as, when you can complete a sentence. There you go. There you go. You'll to, yeah, you'll get to complete a sentence and a whole thought pattern and start brand new things. So what what I like to do is ask for what we call your two-minute movie, and that is by way of introducing you to our listeners. And what we ask you to do is go back as far back as you'd like and tell us everything you want to tell us for two minutes. That's your two-minute oh. movie. So, oh, that's okay. All right. Well, so I um, uh, I was uh, born in a small town in Texas. I grew up in Texas in the 1940s and 50s when women were not encouraged to aspire too much. I became pregnant at 15, married my high school sweetheart. Um, then I woke up after three children and 20, at 20 years old and the birth control pill as it came into my life. And it, sort of I can fast forward from there. The pill has been in some respects a um, defining issue in my life. And it led me ultimately into all kinds of social justice movements and ultimately to a 30-year career with Planned Parenthood, culminating as the national president. But I realized that the pill is just a metaphor, really, for women having power and agency with their in their lives. And I think, as we can see by the contraceptive coverage debate that's going on yet again uh, in in our society, that uh, both sides really understand that, uh, and women 
who 99% of whom use birth control at some point in their lives, know that that's what gives them the ability to plan and space their childbearing and therefore the ability to determine the course of their own fate. And certainly that's how it was for me. And so now I'm writing about women, power, and leadership. I teach a course in women, power, and leadership at Arizona State University. And I speak all over the country on the topic of women, power, and leadership. And I love it. Well, as as a... Uh... As, as the lone male in the room, uh, which I find myself very often because I have a daughter, two granddaughters, my mother's still alive, Deborah, and even my dog is a female. Lucky uh, you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can understand exactly what you've said, and I can see that I have to be involved in this movement in some way as a male because I need to help to ensure that my granddaughters, who are five, and uh, six and three respectively uh, have a good future, have the options and the choices that they need to have, uh, and I can understand exactly what you're saying. So I, I just want I wanted to throw that in just for whatever it's worth. So uh, you're amongst kindred spirits here. So. Excellent, wonderful. Well, and and the the truth of the matter is that of course it, it does take two to tango here. And and when when we say that 99% of Americans have used birth control, that means men as well as women. And Absolutely. I think that men men have got to understand what a difference birth control has made in their lives as well. Well, it's very true. Uh, there, there's just so many things and so many other experiences that we may be have we may have had as a man uh, if there hadn't been the use of of contraceptive, uh, regardless of whose responsibility or who is taking responsibility for it, uh, it could be a, a very different life of an individual. And I've always, always said to my daughter, there are several things, and Deborah and I, as we were raising her, said there are several things that, that we wanted to do. Sure, we wanted to get good grades, but we wanted to be a good citizen. We wanted to be socially resp- responsible, and we know, we realize that there are certain things you can get yourself into that can affect your entire life if not necessarily the final outcome, but it can certainly uh, affect the path and the, the rapidity. And so, therefore, keep yourself uh, in good stead that way. And birth control was part of it. Well, and if I can just uh, jump onto that for one more thing, I'm, I'm going to get myself another 30 seconds here to give you my, my life story. Right. Go which ahead. Is, <laughs> which is that, that the reason I like to talk to women and the reason I wrote No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, is that I believe that women today do have a great deal of power in our hands that we don't always recognize and we don't always use. And one of those powers is, in fact, the power to control our reproductive destiny, and that is what enables us to also have economic self-sufficiency, to be able to get an education and get a job, and to be able to be self-sufficient as a human being and to make our contributions to society. That is a power that previous generations of women simply didn't have. And because we have current generations don't know life without it, it's easy for them to devalue it. But I can, I just, I just want to keep delivering the message to women about the fact that we have a lot of power in our hands, but we have to know it, we have to see it, we have to own it, we have to use it. And it's not just reproductive um, self-determination, but that's just one of the basics. We also have a lot of economic power. Um, we have the power of being 60% of college graduates. We have there, there are a lot of things we have in our hands. We just aren't always using them. Well, that's a bona fide fact. Um, I have been a, uh, a member of a service club. I'm, you're probably familiar with Seroptimus International. Yes. And 
Of course. And I was, uh, during one biennium, I was in charge of the uh, human rights status of women feature, and I was actually the chair of that for 1,600 women in one of the regions. And, you know, there's just so much out there, not only in our country but around the world, where people need to understand that status of women equals human rights, equals, you know, the good life. And and if you're not paying attention to how women are treated in your society and uplift, you know, everyone when you uplift women, um, I don't know. I don't I don't understand why it gets so, frankly, discombobulated. And and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the um, the fact that we are discussing the contraception issue at this point in our history is absolutely it's crazy. It's it, I, I can't even put another word on it. Because in other countries where you say, okay, you've got to introduce birth control to help that population so they don't um, just overrun themselves with too many children that they can't take care of because of famine and lack of water and stuff like that. So we know that that, that, that's important overseas, right? But why don't we understand that it's the same type of thing here on a different level? Great question. That's a very great question. And somehow it seems like we can get our arms around problems in other countries because we don't have to then deal with them up close and personal whereas once we have to really deal with them here we we have we have much more difficulty i will tell you one a a theory that i have and i believe it has to do with america's very ambivalent relationship with sex Um, we live in a culture unlike many of the cultures of other particularly other developed countries and other countries in the, in the still developing world who have much healthier and more realistic attitudes about sex and human sexuality as a normal part of human existence. And they are less susceptible, therefore, to the, to the minorities within, within their society who have um, very retrogressive views about sexuality. For example, um, it's not just uh, sexist points of view that woman's place is is, um, is is very limited, she should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, but also it tends to go along with homophobia and other kinds of, of very sexually repressive um, uh, points of view, and, uh, and, and, and racism is pretty well correlated with that as well. So, you know, I mean, we're 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 a society that keeps uh keeps trying to get better, and I think we can get better. But America is really going to have to come to grips with its very bifurcated attitudes about sexuality if we're ever going to solve some of these problems and quit arguing about things like contraception. Um, and when I say bifurcated, I mean that we American society uses sex to sell everything from toothpaste to cars to anything, you name it. But it's really very difficult to get straightforward, honest information and education about sex and sexuality and to to recognize that every human being is sexual in some way and needs to have appropriate information in order to be responsible about their lives. Absolutely. And I've been watching with great interest and a little distressed, to say the least, that so many of the state legislatures are enacting some very bizarre laws right now or trying to get them done that you just wonder, my goodness, did you you were just waiting for the right convergence of time and weird people to come together. And, <laughs> and you know, I try to go backwards, I mean completely backwards. Um, and I know that the women are not going to put up with it. I, I know that um, 
Well, here's what I think. I believe that even, frankly, Republican women are going to go into the ballot box this year and they're going to say no. They're going to figure out how to say no. They don't have to tell their husbands. They're just going to do it because we just can't let this stand. You know, there's some things that just cannot be this way. Does that I, make sense? I think, yeah, I, no, I, I think you're right. And I, my, current, uh, my current soapbox, the thing I am most annoyed by right now, and I just saw it happen again on, on the morning television shows this morning, when yet one more, I think it was Luke Russert this morning who called uh, talking about contraception a distraction and Gosh. women's health issues as being a distraction. Yeah. And I, 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 ha- I, I think quite to the contrary, these issues, birth control, uh, even abortion, uh, sex education, these are just the tips of a much bigger ideological iceberg that really does have to do with worldviews, differing worldviews about women's place in society. Well, this is the Boomer the Babe Show, and it's uh, wrapping up over here at the food bank. So uh, we're going to be leaving, and we appreciate anybody that was uh, has listened today through some of the programming and so on. So with that, we're just going to say goodbye for the day. We'll be back on Monday with more programming in our usual time slots, 9 and 11. So we hope that you'll join us. And um, uh, come, come to the food bank and uh, see exactly... Everything that they've got going on here, it's uh, it's really quite a place, and it does help a lot of people. So make your donations, give your time, make sure that you talk to Jesse Ramirez, who's the founder and executive director, and uh, we hope that uh, we'll see you here at some point in the future. And thanks, every, uh, everybody, for listening today, and we'll be back again on later, again on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to the Boom and the Babe Show, where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 